Hey, what's up? Welcome to Movie Dumpster Season 3, Episode 15. Today we're talking Death Dream from 1974, directed by Bob Clark. I'm Joel Escola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor the Monkey's Paul McGraw. Welcome to the dumpster. Pretty rough over there, I saw Over where? Andy, look, I'm not going to dwell on this, but do you know that they sent us a telegram tonight? I mean, they actually sent us a telegram telling us that you were killed? They actually said that my son was dead. I was. As in, I'm the monkey's father. You are the monkey's father? Is that where you got his hand from? You cut it off? Yes. Oh, man, you're an evil bastard. So is anyone else who cuts off a monkey and a monkey's hand and keeps it. So. Yeah. That's right. Well, it puts a fucking, fucking voodoo spell on it. There you go. So uh, so this is our 4th of July episode coming out the 3rd of July, but that's okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, how fucking cheery. Yeah. <laughs> Happy 4th of July. Hey, you know how we do our holidays. There was blood rage, you know. Yeah. There was Black Christmas. You can grieve today and uh, celebrate tomorrow. So there you go. Exactly. That's very true, Sean. We, we've watched some dark movies surrounding holidays. Yeah. I think our other, the only other, we didn't do 4th of July last year. But the year before, for their first season, we did Uncle Sam. Yes, with uh, Jody and Isaac Hayes. Oh, yeah. He taught me how to dial 911. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he saved my life. I don't know about you. Yeah, a handful of times. Yeah, sure. Because I called it on Jody when I first saw him in public. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, we got to worry about that guy. <laughs> potential potential mass shooter out here. Uh-oh. Yeah, directed by the, uh, the wonderful Bill Lustig. So yeah, so we're t- so we're talking about a uh, death dream today, which is AKA Dead of Night, AKA The Night Walk, AKA The Night Andy Came Home, AKA the movie that influenced Black Christmas heavily. Yes. Well, it's the, it's like proto Black Christmas kind of. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking while I was watching it. Same director. Yes. And uh, as as with my opening joke, uh, it is kind of a loose adaptation of uh, The Monkey's Paw. Just the actual Monkey's Paw is missing. <laughs> yeah, we're, I want to get into that because I have some I have some uh, supernatural things to discuss. And the weird thing is, on Tubi, the plot lists it as uh, a mother gets a monkey's paw and wishes for her son to return. Uh, they don't ever explicitly say that. No, they don't. I think it's just, you know, we're going to talk about it, but there's a scene where it basically functions as the quote-unquote, you know, monkey's paw. Yeah. So, yeah, the production of this started in 1972 as The Night Walker. And the movie initially came out in 1972 as Dead of Night and then was reissued in 1974 as Death Dream. What? Yeah. Okay. It went through two different releases, and it's listed as 1974 on IMDb, but it's actually accredited to 1972. Huh. Yeah, it's strange. It, there's there's a couple conflicting things that um, I want to discuss about the production of this. Go ahead. So when it's re-released in 1974 uh, under Death Dream, it has like a slightly different opening sequence. And I was watching the Blue Underground DVD. I don't have the Blu-ray yet, but you can actually get the Blue Underground Blu-ray of this film. But... I was watching the Richard Backus interview, which is he's the main character in this Andy Andy Brooks. Um, he recalls shooting a scene in the beginning. So I'm just going to spoil the, the beginning real quick because 
Richard Backus is not in the beginning of this film in this opening scene. It, neither of these characters are him. Anyway, it originally opened as like a POV shot. Right. And the guy who gets shot in the beginning is his friend. And then Andy like and then Andy gets shot, I believe, and then like ends up walking through the jungles of Vietnam into like this hellscape and there's just like this huh. there's just like this pit of these naked bodies just writhing in gore what the oh my god fuck yep they they shot it apparently but it was completely excised um and it's not anywhere to be found on the disc wow are there like stills of it or anything like that any evidence of it uh i don't i don't know i didn't look that sounds that's like some event horizon shit where it's like hey the really compelling stuff it was left in a salt mine yeah right or or even uh idle hands like remember that the end of that whole film was different because i guess Test audiences didn't like a fucking hellscape coming out of a swimming pool, you fucking morons. Yeah, even though that would have made way more sense <laughs> Yeah. than what we get. No, exactly. But it fits that movie's, movie's M.O. of being terrible, because <laughs> I do not <laughs> like that film at all. I mean, I, I kind of like that movie from what I recall, but that ending would have definitely... Uh, Launched it higher up on the uh, proverbial shelf. Yeah. Well, that movie wouldn't have had a hand getting high. <laughs> true. Well, that's true. We would have we would have missed out on that wonderful scene. Yeah. yeah. Whilst wearing a sock puppet or something. Pass. Thanks. Yeah. There's also like a um an extended ending for this where it's really nothing crazy. Like um there like. At the end of the movie, like, there's a car that blows up or something, and there's a couple of um, insert shots of, like, police and stuff. But it's it's nothing it's nothing crazy, right? But the right. big one is the last line of the movie had been totally cut out. Now, I first I read that um, when Gorgon uh, released this on VHS um, as Death Dream, they muted the line of dialogue where Andy's mother says... Andy's home, and some boys never come home. Wow, really? Yeah, referencing the, when he's, you know, at the end of the film, when he's, spoiler, in a grave. Um, again, going back to Rick, Richard Backus's interview, um, he said it was because it might have been, it was cut because it might have been too political. So I'm watching the disc, and it's not there either. And it's also not in the extended uh, ending. Huh. So I feel like it was completely taken out of the film from all the releases. Uh, it wasn't It wasn't the Tubi version I watched today either. It was just she stops after she says Andy's home. Oh, no, she says it. I wrote it down. She says the whole line? Yeah, I wrote it down. Andy's home, some boys never come home? Yep. Really? Wrote it down. <laughs> I was like, I gotta write this one down. I must have been chewing on Apple Jacks and not <laughs> It might be on that fucking Blu-ray. Maybe. Uh, that Blue Underground put out, but it's definitely not on the DVD. And it's definitely not on the VHS. Yeah, it's in there. That I was going to say, though, like, uh, Richard Backus commenting on that maybe it was too political, but I feel like this movie, if I didn't know any better, was making some kind of statement on the fucking Vietnam War. I'd be, it would be insane if it wasn't. If you removed sequences of, like, outrageous, like, unbelievable horror, like when he's, like, dissolving, um, this is totally trying to say these people come back from stuff like this as fucking shells. Like, they come back with they're completely empty, they're despondent, they, they're touched with their current reality as tepid because what they saw and what they went through is so fucked up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Someone trying to blend back into society afterwards is basically impossible. Yeah, especially, specifically the Vietnam War. Yeah. And, like, how 
all the rules were kind of changed for the warfare, and it was just insanity. With, you know, I don't need to fucking tell you history. If you don't know about the Vietnam War, maybe you should go read a fucking book. Break open that fucking Wikipedia page and start reading. Scroll down. Well, because they also made the comparison. It's a war we should have never fought, first of all. Second of all, they make they make a lot of comparisons between other wars. Yeah. And how other people have fought the wars that are in the movie and, like, they didn't come back as fucked up as this guy. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, I wanted to dive into that a little bit when we get to that scene, because I found that kind of interesting, how that was handled. The way that they handled that, and then, like, the whole thing with PTSD and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, which is very heavily throughout this whole film, and kind of hinges upon that. When And like Connor said, when you take out the uh, quote-unquote uh, supernatural element, I mean, that... That is what you're left with. Yeah. Drug addiction and and spiraling madness and, and all that kind of shit. Yeah, and, like, to further Sean's point, like, without getting too much into it, there's a very, like, boomer perspective that comes from other wars versus someone who's in a different generation who's just, like, staring off, like, the fuck are you even talking about? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so this is written by Alan Ormsby. Um, who had just come off making uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, who also was did the all the makeup effects for this. Um, he was the head guy who made all the prosthetics for for Andy, or for Richard Bacchus, like, playing Andy and stuff. I think they look awesome. Yeah, they look great. There's a few moments where I just went, Ugh. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely um, impactful. But uh, his assistant is a very young Tom Savini. Whoa. And this is his first film that he did effects for. And he is fully credited for the makeup effects on this. Didn't he also serve in the military as well? Or yes. was he a, uh, he was a medic of some kind, wasn't he? He was a Vietnam war photographer. Oh my God. So this is extra, like there's that extra layer there to this because like, yeah. here's a movie about the horrors of Vietnam and here's a guy who just served served over there essentially he was a war photographer but i mean he still had had to have a gun and shit you know what i mean yeah well and he talked about in so many interviews how like his his time in vietnam you know is what led him to do the special effects that he was known for well maybe initially like especially that head explosion in maniac i remember seeing him talk about that right well that didn't get him into special effects but that solidified his penchant or or knack for uh for realism right because of all of those photos and he's like oh well and it reflected in his uh you know his violent prosthetics and stuff because it's like well this is how a person looks dead. Yeah. Because I've seen it firsthand, you know what I mean? So I guess what I'm saying is whenever he was doing effect or the actor was pretending to be dead or what have you, it had to uh, meet a certain level uh, that he deemed realistic, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's like when Christopher Lee told Peter Jackson he knows what it likes to be stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, literally. <laughs> right. I was going to say, uh, just because now you mention it, now I'm curious. Do, what what did get Tom Savini into effects, if you know? Um, he tells the story of uh, specifically the interview on the Blue Underground disc of, of Death Dream. He talks about um, how, I mean, he did it at, when he was 11. He started when he was like around 11 and he like, you know, did a bunch of different makeups on his friends and stuff and like would give him like bloody, you know, like slashes across the neck or like slit wrists or something and they'd go home and they'd, and they'd freak out their parents and shit. He tells a one, one particularly great story about uh, this stage show that had come to this theater where he lived and it's about it, it was like it was it said like Frankenstein Wolfman and Dracula and they and they it was like a live show with like a magician and then they would show like monster movies in between uh so they had a guy in a mask that played Frankenstein and a guy in a mask that played the Wolfman but Dracula was always uh, a, a kid that was picked out of the audience so 
he finds out about this and then like puts this whole makeup thing together and then you know he made sure he he got picked to play dracula and he ends up being dracula in this play or, or in the stage show like so well that they like bring him on and like do the rest the remainder of the shows with hit, just him as dracula on the stage wow holy shit yeah he and he goes on to say like he that was like his first job when he was 14 and he got paid in uh, chocolate milkshakes <laughs> So I thought that was kind of funny. We'll pick the only kid who came dressed up for the job. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, right? It's a fucking dream, dude. But yeah, but then you know, as a as a as a young man, you know, he went to Vietnam, saw all that stuff, came back, and then he ended up in Florida, and um, saw an ad in the paper, and uh, assisted Alan Ormsby on uh, the effects for this, and right, you know, then he went on to do. Uh, now, we're tied together with, like, three films between Bob Clark, Alan Ormsby, and Tom Savini because Tom Savini goes on to do Deranged with Alan Ormsby after this, and then he goes on to do Martin for George Romero. I've never seen that one. Oh, it's a great take on the vampire flick, dude. If you haven't seen Martin, check it out. Uh, and listeners, check it out. But, um, but yeah, he makes Martin with George Romero, meets George Romero, makes Dawn of the Dead with George Romero and the rest of his fucking history. I mean, we all we all know Savini. That's for fucking sure. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because Andy throughout this movie gives me vibes of um oh, what's his nuts from Dawn of the Dead who slowly zombifies. Roger from Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, yep. Yeah, he's he's in the bed. Same hairline and everything. So when he's talking about the effects and stuff, which of course I love, the way that they did some of his uh some of uh Richard Bax's makeup what to make him look more gaunt and shit as the movie progresses they like would give him slightly bigger clothes and make like slightly bigger teeth huh. so it looked like he was like shrinking or wasting away did they get clue gulliger's son to make the teeth <laughs> <laughs> i heard he's really good at that it's possible aye aye baby foop yeah the foop fo- the foop false teeth company oh yeah <laughs> Foop is our is our Acme, by the way. There's yeah, I was gonna say, is that the MDU's Acme? Foop. <laughs> yes. Foop. Just fucking making these fucking teeth. Yeah, and uh, bottles of booze. Yeah, <laughs> it comes with the bottles of booze. It's like a free giveaway. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, he goes on to do uh, deranged with Alan Ormsby. Now, Alan Ormsby, um, again, like I said before, had just come off uh, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, which he wrote and I believe Bob Clark directed. And then he he goes to write this film, and Bob Clark directs it. And then he goes on to, and he does effects for this, and he does effects for Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, and then he does effects for Deranged and directs Deranged. And then he does effects for Shocks Waves, too, with um with Peter Cushing, um, the Nazi zombie movie. Uh, yes, the one, the only one. Well, oh, Jesus Christ, the original, <laughs> I think. I think it's the original. Frankenstein's Army? Yeah, that one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he goes on to direct Popcorn, with uh, Jill Sholin that we just did. Uh, she was just in Stepfather that we just did. You know, he goes on to write the Cat People remake, Porky's 2, all four of the Substitute movies. That's a feather in your cap, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, it's a treat because it's Treat Williams. Boo. <laughs> he goes on to write a piece of Mulan for Disney. What? Okay, sure, why not? He's accredited as a d- additional story for that, which is strange. To me. So I guess he had a storied career. But yeah, then we get to Bob Clark, who, like I said, directed uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. And then he goes right from that with Alan to Death Dream. And then he goes from Death Dream right to Black Christmas. Now, he literally shot all of those films from 72 to 74. Because Death Dream says it came out in 74, Black Christmas is 1974, and Children Shouldn't Play... 
I believe Children Trying to Play with Dead Things is 72, but then Dead of Night, Death Dream is also attributed to 1972. So with between 19, between three years, they had made three film or he had made three films back to back to back. That's pretty fucking crazy. Which is fucking nuts to me. Um, and it's so weird because like, it's not only the start of Bob's career, kind of, but it's also the start of Tom Savini's career. And Alan kind of, unfortunately, fizzles out a bit. But well, we know, you know, Bob Clark. It took him a while to get the Karate Dog. So <laughs> yeah, but he's done so many classics like Porky's and uh, Christmas Story and stuff like that. Sure, yeah. Because he right after Black Christmas, he does Porky's and Porky's Two, and then he does Christmas Story. But yeah, just super interesting. Like I didn't realize how tight how tight it was between Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, uh, Death Dream and Black Christmas like it's very they're very close together literally within three years seemingly working on them at the same fucking time as all this other shit is happening and being released the same time too well you know sometimes you make three movies all back to back to back sometimes you go out to fucking uh you know some island off the coast of Italy and you go like what a great view I could film a movie here (laughs) possibly and they have a great tank dude that looks over the Mediterranean great fucking tank god I love you Graydon Clark should check out that interview, if you haven't already, with Graydon Clark. Came out uh, earlier this week. Oh, yeah, baby. Check it out. If you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that or the Uninvited episode, what the fuck's wrong with you? Go back and listen to Uninvited and the Graydon Clark interview, and then come back here. Shut it off right now. Go do that and come back to this. So, one last thing. Uh, Carl Zittrer comes, uh, is on the score for this, and he, he was also on Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, and Deranged, and Black Christmas, and Porky's, and Porky's 2, and Christmas Story. Wow, Bob Clark found his guy yeah <laughs> right all these people stayed together for so long and just kept do like knocking out these productions from like 72 to uh I don't know, 80, when did Christmas Story come out? 1980, I think? Sounds right. I'd have to look it up. But I think that's right. 1980 or 1981. Anyway. That tracks. It's just very cool to me that they all kind of just stuck together and like made films together. Yeah. I mean, why not? If you know somebody's good and they're available, why not, right? Sure. And if, if you got good chemistry with everybody, why wouldn't you make another film with them, you know? Yeah. It's like how Christopher Nolan has Hans Zimmer in his basement or something. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher, can I come out now? (laughs) Shut up. No, keep putting those razor blades against those violins. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of which, yeah, uh, Zimmer's score in this is fucking top notch. I mean, I think Black Christmas is better, but it's really good. Yeah, this has a lot of, uh, a lot more creepiness to it, I guess is what I'll say. Especially when they kind of mix in like this, I I don't know what you want to what you want to even refer to it as, like Andy's theme, I guess? Yeah, he does have his kind of theme, because it's, it, it's akin to Claudio Simonetti in the Suspiria song going, la, 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 like, kind of like that. Yes, exactly, but like a little bit more deranged even. Yeah. Like a layer of Billy laid over it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's also proto Friday Thirteenth before Jason uh, gets his theme that has uh, the kill mom incorporated into it. Oh yeah, because I mean we have a lot of I mean we're gonna get to it. So there's a lot of like Andy, you're not dead. Come back, Andy. You know that kind of mom shit. Oh my god. So when I first saw this film, I seeked it out specifically because. I had never seen it at this time, but my dad and my mom, my mom, my mother and father used to tell me this story. Now, my dad hates horror movies, right? He gets super scared of them and, like, won't watch them (laughs) a lot of the time. He gets, like, freaked out. I mean, whatever. He's not into it. Sure. It's kind of weird to have a son that is, but that's fine. And a wife. He always used to tell me the story of this movie that fucking freaked him out when he was a kid. And he 
he would always tell me about like it's this uh soldier who comes home from the war and he's like in a rocking chair and that's all i had to go on and this was before like the internet before it was easy to research this shit right and again like you couldn't get this film until blue underground released it on dvd and like i don't even know what 2000 i want to say 2006 in those in those early 2000s like between 2006 and 2010 i think they released the 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 dvd but before that you can only get it on tape and it's a hard tape to fucking get a hold of anyway uh cuz it was put out by gorgon the clamshell but um yeah he 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 told me the story about this fucking thing so I, it took me years to find this film and then i finally fucking found it and without telling him i'm like let's watch this movie and we played it and he's like guess it's the fucking movie <laughs> and i'm like yep here it is oh my god i, I can fucking hear your dad's voice <laughs> he just runs away screaming like. <laughs> and to put a fucking uh, a nice pin in that like this movie was released or re-released excuse me in 1974 on his birthday august 29th <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be yeah it's his, it's his personal tormentor yeah he was 16 when this movie came out holy shit peanut butter and chocolate mashed potatoes and gravy joe's dad and uh, death dream <laughs> <laughs> or he was 14 when this movie came out excuse me i love that Funny as shit. You know, that reminds me of my dad. He told me this story years ago, and my grandparents would always bust his chops about it when he wanted to see Night of the Living Dead when he was a little kid. And he fucking insisted, come on, come on, we got to see Night of the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead. And my grandpa was like, ah, you sure that's not too scary for you, Jimmy? Ah, no, come on, we'll go. (laughs) So they go to the drive-in. I guess my grandpa took uh, my dad and I think one of his friends or his cousin or something and my grandma and my grandpa for years would say, oh, yeah, you know, Jimmy, when you were hiding under the dashboard? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and he would just shake his head. He's like, yeah. He's like, I do love that movie, but yeah, it was maybe a little too young at the time. Oh, man. Joe, I'm just imagining your dad like George C. Clark in the fucking changing, like, turn it off. Oh, oh, no, yeah, yeah, totally. That's what happened. <laughs> Didn't even want to take a chance of watching it having flashbacks i think we ended up watching the whole thing and it was kind of one of those things where like he was still creeped out but he was like yeah it's just a fucking stupid movie i don't care right well at this point when he was 14 or you know whatever (laughs) i mean this is a pretty fucking intensely creepy film especially then sure like you said with with line of living dead people laugh at that shit now but like that shit was scary when it came out you know i mean i've heard people laugh at fucking texas chainsaw massacre and it gives me a friggin' migraine but i guess i i get it some of the worst experiences i've had are going to see classic film like classic um 70s and 80s films that i like especially like italian horror or like giallos or stuff like that sure there's always like a group of people like laughing at the dialogue or something and just like totally ruining the fucking experience it's like i paid money to see this fucking film on 35 fucking millimeter film shut up you know what I mean? Not realizing that in 20 years, someone's going to look back on their generation and go, what a bunch of fucking idiots. Like, Yeah. It's always some fucking rare print that, like, it's a miracle it still fucking exists, and here it is, and we're watching it, and all you can do is fucking make jokes. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Unfortunately, you're going to always have people that are just, like, live local to those kind of things that just go every week no matter what's playing. Sure. You go to concerts sometimes, and, you know, there's just people that live in the area basically complaining the entire show, and it's like, why are you here again? It's fucking annoying, dude. Oh, because you live around the corner, and the fucking cover was $5. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's stupid. I think the Alamo Draft House, I forget which one. I might have been the one in Yonkers but like they showed Suspiria with 
Goblin doing the score live to the fucking film. Whoa. Whoa. I didn't make it out to that, but, like, I heard stories of, like, people being super fucking obnoxious at the show. Like, that would have fucking drove me nuts. Yeah. To, to do, to see that. I might have thrown a hot dog at somebody. I can't guarantee i wouldn't have <laughs> aimed for an eyeball it fucking pisses me off man no me too anyway in a happier note yeah <laughs> uh sort of question mark the monkey's paw <laughs> the monkey's paw explain this concept to people connor so the monkey's paw is based on a supernatural short story by i had his name pulled up before Stephen King. No, W.W. Jacobs. Nice try there. <laughs> Poe. One of those guys. Of course not, dude. This story's fucking old as hell. Yeah, it's about a family who's gifted a uh, a you know supposedly magical monkey's paw where you can make you know wishes on it for the corresponding amount of fingers. Uh, someone wishes for I think the story is two hundred pounds. Um, and then that guy who then goes to work and is mangled in a fucking workplace accident, and his family is compensated two hundred pounds. Yeah. Uh, and then they wish for him to come home, and he does. But he is a disheveled, uh, horrifying, gross mess. Um, and I can't remember how it ends. But I also saw a stage play of this when I was in like fourth grade, third grade. Really? Yeah. It was put on by uh, college and it was fucking terrifying because once, you know, Herbert was his name, comes home, they just presented as him just knocking on the door relentlessly. While everyone inside is freaking the fuck out. So to me, that was horrifying. It's a scary thing. Because I'm just imagining what it looks like on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. This movie excises the uh, the the actual paw and just kind of changes it to uh, a wish, I guess. Yeah, you get what you wish for kind of a scenario. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. It's that age old fucking tale, you know, where you want, you wish for something good to happen, but it ends up turning to shit. Yeah. Right. You wish for your husband to come back and then Rumpelstiltskin fucks you. <laughs> Give me a baby. Jesus Christ. That's literally what happens in Rumpelstiltskin. I know. No, that's literally what happens. I don't think we phrased it like that before. <laughs> it's such a like it's such an age-old tale, right? It's in everything. I think even the new creep show uh series has literally a monkey's paw episode, like literally with an actual monkey's paw and everything. Um, and fucking Bruce Davidson is in that episode. Oh God! But he's actually he's actually really good in it. He's actually present both mentally and physically. Yes, he is on screen doing his thing, and he's excellent. Rather than Titanic two, that was just the Davidson bot, not you know, not functioning right. <laughs> He was doing, well, he, that's what it was. He's like, this is Death Dream, right? I'm doing my best Richard Backus in Titanic 2, where I just stare off into space. <laughs> you ever seen Death Dream? Nobody? Uh. <laughs> it's really good. It, it, it's in countless movies. You've seen it before. I mean, there's a Tales from the Dark Side episode that has, like, the serpent's tooth, which is the same kind of thing, uh, where, you know, uh, a woman wishes for uh, things. Just offhandedly, though, like... Just real quick, like the episode has like her his her son studying to be like a doctor, and her daughter I for, I can't remember. I think she's just like she like wears crazy shit. She's like a punker or some shit. She likes to dye her hair and stuff, and she wishes that like her daughter was more like conservative and like that uh, her son would um change a profession or whatever. And uh, you know she makes wishes on the fucking serpent's tooth and shit happens like where her son goes blind. So he because she's like if you keep looking at that book you're gonna go blind in the dark or whatever and he fucking goes blind 
this little bastard kid that uh, runs errands for her comes to the door and like sticks his tongue out at her and she's like, you know, if you keep making faces like that, it's going to get stuck like that. And the fucking kid is like permanently has like a weird face. On. Oh, my God. Oh, she has Rob Schneider's powers from th- uh, Surf Ninjas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking of. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But uh, but yeah. Plot crunch. Uh, so a uh, Andy, we've already talked about him, is a soldier who fights in Vietnam, uh, is murdered in the opening five minutes. Uh, we And then his family, grieving family, wishes for him to come home, and he does, and he is immediately not right. Uh, and lots of uh, horror, body horror, and weirdness ensues. Yeah. Sure does. That's definitely the most concise way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of really awkward scenes. Uh, the social commentary for this movie is intense, uh, especially in family dynamics. There was a lot of times where, like, I felt super uncomfortable because I was like, this has happened to me before, and this is fucked up. Uh, there's a moment in this movie that almost made me turn it off, and I will talk about it when we get to it. Yep. So now I had briefly talked about in the opening about the alternate version of this in the beginning. So in this version, it's not even again, this was going to be a this had like a totally different shot to it. So the the two guys you see, the guy who gets shot, I believe is is Andy, he goes down and you don't see his face and then it's like overdubbed and he's like, "Oh, Dylan or whatever the fuck." Yeah. But the guy who you see his face, that's not supposed to be Andy. That's supposed to be his friend who gets shot. Right. And that's why it's like a, a POV of his face. And then that whole scene I described before with like the hellscape was going to be inserted there. Okay. Cuz instead, like I I actually kind of like the way this is shot. Sure. Where you see Andy basically freaking out after his friend gets shot and it's just totally black all around him. Then he gets shot from behind and starts falling forward, and then the actual credits come in as he's collapsing. Yeah, it like goes out of focus and then comes back in focus. Again, that was supposed to be that POV shot of Andy looking at his friend dying. That would have been kind of cool, and it would have been all handheld because we come back to that, and like that's how it opens, and I th- and we don't even see him for like the first I don't know twenty twenty five minutes of this movie. Right, I would have preferred that because. Uh... I like this movie, but I even feel like his return was very, uh, I don't want to say rushed, but... Abrupt. Kind of, it ha- yes, it's very abrupt. Very abrupt. And and I like that idea of, like, what you were explaining, Joe, with, like, this pit with, uh, what did you say, like, hands and shit in there, or corpses? They were naked, like, they hired a bunch of townsfolk that were willing to get naked, and then they just, like, covered them in gore, and they were, like, writhing in a fucking jungle pit. So here's my thing, like, A, that's... Pretty fucking cool. I don't know why they wouldn't leave that in there, but I guess, like, B, my thought is they probably cut that because you don't really need it? Um, no, but it adds a little bit more. It certainly enhances whatever narrative is going on here because the, like, there's not a whole lot surrounding Andy's sudden resurrection outside of, like, a wish and, like, extra atmosphere or, like, you know, symbolism or something would have certainly... helped but you know it being there i don't think hurts anything it would have been a better addition than that scene in the suckling of that fucking topless nurse walking around that added literally nothing yeah <laughs> except boobs hey look boobs suck them I th- or whatever yeah well yeah we got to get them in there somewhere <laughs> uh but yeah to your to, to that point um i feel like that would have been a very um symbolistic uh, uh approach to kind of showing Andy's horror yes in that fucking jungle you know what I mean that I agree with that's the part of it that is interesting to me I'm just saying from the perspective of 
oh, they probably cut it because some executive is like, yeah, I don't get it. Just we don't need this. Sure, but it, it. I feel like that scene would have made it made me feel completely differently about him. No, yeah. I also think what it made some fucking people faint in the seventies. Oh yeah, for sure. I think the time period probably wasn't enabling of that kind of imagery yet. Well, we had just did deranged, and I believe uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis has already done a bunch of other shit. Uh, and there's a bucket of bl- a bucket of bloods out, but they're like underground films that you can't just see anywhere. Yeah, and there's like there's a layer of like independent sleazism, and this is like I feel like that is something that's very it's almost like biblical in scale when you think about it. Sure. One, I don't think people would have taken too kindly to the political tones of it, and two, I don't think people would have taken too kindly to the like the religious tones or any anything like that. I feel like people might have found it blasphemous. Sure. Uh, but I feel like I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to really speak to the time because I wasn't alive. Exactly. Right. I mean, I can only surmise any of my opinions just by history. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm judging that based on like the fervor around like The Exorcist, where it's like this film's cursed. Oh my god, it killed my grandma. Yeah. Oh my god, Ouija boards are bad now. They're the devil's thing. Oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, I think Ouija boards are stupid. Like, <laughs> yo, no, no, but spirit boards were around for forever, hundreds of years, and they they are they're like party games in like Victorian times and shit, right? You know, just to go off on this little side tangent for a moment, it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, oh well, that's not Catholic or Christian, and that's against the fucking norm. That's pagan. I'll oh, get that out of here. That's gonna curse my house. Dungeons and Dragons. Well, no, exactly though. Honestly, no, you're absolutely correct. But like that, the Exorcist was the singular film that associated the devil with Ouija boards. Oh, yeah. And not even, like, spirit boards in general, but specifically Parker Brothers' fucking Ouija board. (laughs) And it was like, okay. Of course, there's other films that are lesser known to the general public, but you're 100% right, Joe. Like, that was the movie. No, that was, yeah, that was the movie that scared the shit out of everybody. And then all of a sudden, conservative Christians were like, I get that magic out of my house. There's devils in there. Milton and Bradley work for the devil. (laughs) I mean, to this day. Which, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I mean, it sucks that people have those views because you know whether you believe in what it does or does not do is kind of besides the point in my viewpoint sure but you just basically gave horror films like a fucking tulpa for the next like 30 years that they can just <laughs> insert to any film we open up in vietnam and then we cut and then we go to um andy's home and his father is there yes john marley he is one of those actors that when you see him on screen if you've watched a lot of movies you're like who, who the fuck this guy looks so familiar and then you look his ass up, and he was the guy that had the fucking horse head in his bed and Godfather. Jack Waltz himself. He couldn't look more like a gangster. Like, or at least someone who has been in the mafia. Like, he's got the fucking, the, uh, the poofed out gray hair, the solid black <laughs> eyebrows, and, like, the tired <laughs> facial hair. He's like Billy Bat's fucking second cousin. Yeah, he looks like somebody who could be my grandpa easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see it. Like, hey, Joey, what the fuck are you doing over there, you fucking whatevers? I also read that he was fucking... David Banner, because, you know, they couldn't have it be Bruce Banner in the Incredible Hulk series for whatever insane reason. (laughs) Some kind of anti-homosexual bullshit. Oh, my goodness. But uh, he played Banner's father in an episode called Homecoming. Hmm, That's really interesting. And uh, I don't know. I saw some pictures of him with the Hulk, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to post that on Instagram later. Sure. (laughs) It's super interesting. And I think he's literally right off the Godfather at this point. Yeah. And everybody's like, holy shit, we're working with John Marley? Like, he was just in The Godfather. So that that was kind of like a big thing on set, too. He is... I have... 
as the movie progresses, I go from like different levels. It's almost like a, a threat level with this guy. Sure. <laughs> because it's like constantly going, okay, I don't hate this character. Oh, wait, I really hate this character too. Oh, this guy's a little sympathetic to like, I don't get this guy's fucking deal. Like, I like he's he's an interesting character. Well, he's in like an alcoholic haze for most of this film. True. Like towards the second half of the film. And then he's also like that classic asshole like, very, very classic male douchebag kind of figure. Sure. I find him interesting, though, because he, like, you're right, Joe, he is that, you know, stereotype, I guess I'll say. Yeah. But the way that the movie portrays it, like, it pisses me off, but also, like, I, I don't know how I really feel about this guy. I think I'll give you, I'll express exactly how I feel about him by the end of the film, but, like, as the movie was going on, I was going, like, up and down on him a lot. Yeah, we kind of got a dissect each each of those tones sure sure so john marley uh is playing charles brooks who's andy's father we have kathy who's his sister um anya ormsby uh by the way it's uh alan ormsby's (laughs) ex-wife surprisingly oh um and then lynn carline or carline however you say that is uh christine brooks who's andy's mother so they're all having dinner this is the first inkling you get of this right um, because they're all saying a prayer, and they're like, okay, uh, uh, thank you, Father, whatever, whatever, amen. And they go to eat, but the mother is still praying, like, to herself? Yeah. About Andy? Yeah, there's, like, this little awkward scene where she's whispering, you can't, you can, you can make out a couple words, and, like, Dad and Sis are looking at her like, what the fuck? And... They're talking about dinner, and they're it, they're obviously trying to put it on for each other to make like like everybody's normal, right? Like they're all happy and everything's fine, even though their son is at war, right? And they haven't heard from him in months. And they're like, "Yeah, this roast beef uh, is real good." And <laughs> mom is like, "Yeah, you gotta have a you gotta have a man who knows how to carve a roast beef, or else uh, or and a turkey, because uh, uh, that's the way it should be. You should always have a man that could do everything for you, and you don't need to do anything because you're a woman <laughs> and a fucking idiot, and and how dare." are you <laughs> yeah i couldn't believe it but you know again thinking about 72 sure and the, the the mental state of this character as we find out i was like okay sure she's great though and then she like goes on like uh she keeps trying to or kathy the sister keeps trying to change the subject but mom keeps coming back to like oh yeah joanne and andy's coming back see i got a letter well joanne asked me if i heard from andy and i and i kind of told a lie and i said i got a letter but it it was i really did get the letter but it was from a long time ago and i told her that it was from like a week ago and everything's fine and he's fine and the fucking the, the it's everything's broke by a fucking rap at the door yeah and it's it, it, it's such a powerful scene cuz the fucking whole room like goes dead quiet and dad gets up to answer the door, and it's it's uh, this guy, George, who's a military officer. He's greeted by Harlan Briggs from Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of, right? Kind of. And he's like, he's like, hey, I'm just about to go deliver the, the death certificate to, to Uncle Sam's wife. <laughs> I, right? That's what I was thinking, too. I'm going to do them both. I'm going to go bang that sister and definitely not get killed by Uncle Sam off screen. Yeah, right. I live in a deli. Oh wait, that's Isaac Hayes. So anyway, it's 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 a very somber scene. He like he knocks the door and he goes to give the uh the dad the certificate the death certificate and he like grabs his hand almost to be like no don't give me this right yeah and the guy the military guy George is just like he's like I'm sorry he's like you know if there's anything you want you need from me just let me know blah 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 hands him the death certificate he opens it up and uh, he just says he goes it's Andy. And they think it's a, a letter. And they're like, Andy? And he's and he just looks at them and goes, dead. And then it just, 
the mother fucking breaks down and she's like, it's a lie. Ah, blah, blah, blah. It's very, it's a very powerful scene. Dad's crying, you know, all that stuff. Daughter's trying to console him. Yeah, they lost their son. Also, at no point in this movie does mom ever uh, level out as far as her emotional state. She starts cracked and just gets worse. Oh, yeah, it just keeps opening up. No Band-Aid's going to fix that. Yeah. No. And, and like, part of me, uh, you know, feels for this woman. But then part of me is like, oh, no, lady, you're taking this too far. No, this is this is definitely, I mean, I see this joked about, and I'm sure you guys have too, in a bunch of movies where it's like, oh, ha- yep, Harry's coming home back from the war any day now. And they're just like, yeah, she's fucking crazy. But like, well, right. this is like in the midst of it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundreds of thousands of, of Americans were killed for nonsensical reason. Yeah. And this is the fallout of it, you know? And everybody copes in their own way, and I get that. Sure. But they definitely ratchet that up to 11 in this film. Oh, yeah. So it, it, it cuts to night, and everybody's sleeping, and then uh, the dad wakes up and realizes the mom's not in the bed, and he, like, walks through the house, and he can hear her speaking. And this is another thing. You get, like, Andy's theme where it's like... Yeah. Hey, it's uh, also, it's the arm from Twin Peaks. Also, <laughs> <laughs> yep. I am the arm. <laughs> she is also sitting in this rocking chair, which becomes a big plot point in this film. Yes. The titular rocking chair. She's sitting in the rocking chair, kind of going back and forth, saying, "It's a lie. It's a lie, Andy. You'll come back home, right? You're you're gonna come home. You'll come back." She says, "Yeah, right." So, what a tulpa is is the intentions you put out into the universe, um, kind of personifying into this force. The problem is when you focus your intention so much. And it becomes it becomes real. It also kind of takes uh, on a mind of its own, and most of the time, it's a dark entity, right? That's where you get like doppelgangers from and shit like that. Pet Cemetery kind of is like that to a point. Yeah, not the same thing. It's a right. Well, yeah, you have like in you know uh, Native American magic and shit like that going in there and stuff like that. But sure. Um, specifically, this is, uh, uh, the, the power of intention, right? Your thoughts. Right. And essentially, yeah, it's almost like a wish, but she focuses so hard on it that it actually becomes a thing. That's my take, uh, takeaway, right? There is no monkey's paw. She willfully manifested this semblance of Andy into existence who's not really Andy. Yeah, I'm not sure what the fuck he is. I mean, it is kind of that thing. I mean, as we, as we get into it, but... You know, it's it's kind of like the Uncle Sam thing, but the different. I mean, it's hard not to compare those films because we've done both now, uh, at least in this stage of the film. Where in Uncle Sam, I guess what was it like? Some fucking punkers are pissing on an American flag, and that stirs him awake. Yeah, that like wakes him up. But in this, you're right. It's just kind of like she she has this intention, and she says it over and over and over and over again. And yeah, he shows up, but. Yeah, to your point, guys, you're right. It's like it's not who they remember. Like, he has his memories. He is Andy, mm-hmm. but he's like he is soulless, I think is the right word for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it also had me thinking, like, is mom dabbling in the fucking dark arts because is she praying to something else to bring him back? Well, and I was kind of half expecting them to delve into something like that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was kind of glad they didn't. Sure. 
it's up for interpretation. Sure, and I, I don't think that would take anything away from the film, but I don't think you really need it. No, and, and it would be very reminiscent of, I literally just watched it the other day, Trilogy of Terror 2, there's a story in that um, called Bobby. And it's the same kind of thing, like the son dies and the, and the mother tries to bring him back via ritual, and it's not really him, it's actually a demon that looks like him. Ooh. So, yeah, it's really good. I like that idea. Uh, fucking sign me up for another uh, anthology, baby. Yeah. Me too. So yeah, that was the whole explanation. That, that's how. That's what I took away from it. I mean, yeah, they don't tell you specifically in the film, and I think it. I think it. It would be wrong to say that he's just a zombie. He's hard to pin down exactly what he is. He definitely, as the film progresses, has more zombie-like features. Sure, but then he's almost vampiric at some points. We'll get to it. Yeah, because after this night of praying. We uh we, we kind of cut to like a POV shot. This kind of ties back with the beginning of the film where it's that whole POV shot. So you should still not have seen Andy at all, right? Just his POV. Right. And he kind of like stumbles out of the woods and uh, there's this truck driver that pulls over and picks him up. He just appears on the side of the road. Right, exactly. And the only thing that... Uh, that you even know it could be Andy. They kind of, you know, put the cart before the horse here a little bit, which I'm not crazy about. I feel like they spell it out for you a little bit too early, uh, but I, I totally get it because of the POV shot. This trucker refers to him as Soldier, mm. and, and that's kind of a running thing in this film. Anytime Andy is brought up by the general public who don't know that it is Andy, I guess I'll say, uh, they always refer to him as Soldier. Uh, always he's a soldier that was hitchhiking. Yes, but it wasn't uncommon. No, no, especially at the time. I mean, like we were talking about earlier. Especially at the time. All these people coming home from war, either homeless or injured or just trying to get to where they need to go. They don't have shit. Right. You know, when they come back. Yeah, they have a bag and significantly decreased mental capacities. Well, yeah, and I mean, that this movie explains that, or, or rather, that this movie goes into that for sure. I mean, Rambo's the one that always comes to mind, or excuse me, not Rambo, but First Blood. Sure, yeah. The way that this is told is, is much more uh, cerebral. Anyway impactful it might instead of being like i'm just gonna go kill him okay well i'm gonna get my revenge uh, i would argue that first blood is pretty fucking nuanced but once you get into two three and four it, it starts to just be of like hey I, i'm i just kill everybody now uh sure i don't even think those movies are connected anymore <laughs> <laughs> They're separate franchises. <laughs> I mean, spoilers to, like, a really old book, but, like, at the end of the book of First Blood, like, fucking Swar or, uh, Stallone gets, like, shot. Does he really? I didn't even know it was a book. And then when they made the movie, they were like, yeah, we can't do that. There's sequel potential. Well, he shoots himself in the original ending of the movie, and then they were like, nah, let's make him live. You know what? Thanks for telling me that, because I have... I... I I'm just gonna be completely honest. Like, I'm not the biggest Rambo fan, because I didn't really watch it. Not me either. I didn't really watch it that much as a kid. I saw Commando and, like, Terminator more than I saw First Blood. You know what I mean? Sure. I had the video game for Nintendo. Well, there you go. <laughs> I remember the Angry Video Game Nerd episode of that. That game looks horrible. <laughs> this truck pulls up to this diner, this fucking local grease hole off the fucking interstate, mm. and you have this friggin' uh, waitress bickering with this cook who's just mumbling behind a fucking door. Everyone in this fucking diner is shit-faced, okay? Every single one of them. <laughs> the fucking cook has a, has, a, has a stutter like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Connor, you're right. They are all drunk because there's, like, a customer in there, and this guy, this guy looks shrug out of his fucking mind. He's like, they're like, ah, oh, what can I get you, partner? He's like, uh, you got a menu? <laughs> they're like, yeah, next to the wall. And he's like, oh. 
He's he's basically a Clue Gulliger from fucking Uninvited, just wandering around this restaurant. He's more drunk than anyone should ever be in a diner, okay? Like, he looks like he wandered in from somewhere else. He does this every night. <laughs> yeah, clearly, based on the fucking people working there's reactions. They're like, whatever, Earl, shut the fuck up, it's on the wall. Eat your coffee and your fucking waffles and shut the fuck up. <laughs> and get the fuck out of here. Yeah, he orders the same thing every time, but he's always asking for a menu. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might mix it up. You always get the same thing. Waffles, coffee, hash browns. That's it. Well, I don't know. Maybe I want bacon this night. I don't know. I want flapjacks. This is assuming he's saying this in anything that is understandable, that he's not already so drunk that every word is slurred like he is in this part of the movie, but... I digress. In his head, he sounds slurred, but in reality, he's just on the floor shitting his pants. He's so fucking... <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he's sitting sit in a diaper. <laughs> They're like, up, oh, there goes Earl again. Get the mop. Jimmy, go get the fucking bucket again. He, he's done. <laughs> then Ben, the truck driver, runs in, just about trips over this poor bastard on the floor. He slides in the shit up to the fucking... up to the bar there. <laughs> slides in, it lands at the counter perfectly and just winks at the fucking waitress. <laughs> How you doing, toots? Uh, can I have a coffee and some smokes? I gotta run there. Two, make, make it two black coffees. I got a guest, some weirdo I picked up. Yeah, some soldier. He's a real fucking weirdo, he says. <laughs> he doesn't talk or anything. I'm gonna get him a tasteless, soulless coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Burnt as shit. It's like from this morning. Yeah, exactly, from this morning. <laughs> It's fucking, f- fucking watered-down shit burnt piss coffee. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah, we got a 24-cup uh, burner here. It's been on it for about 12 hours, just the way you like it, Ben. Three days old. Here you go, mysterious stranger. Empty and dark, just like you. <laughs> just like your passenger. It's kind of fucked up, though, how this uh, truck driver, you know, he's like, yeah, I picked this guy up. He won't even tell me uh, his name. You know, he wouldn't even thank me. And I'm sitting here like, well, first of all, who gives a shit if the guy thanked you or not? Like, you didn't have to pick him up. Yeah. But two, like, if you're so worried about picking this dude up that you're just telling strangers at the diner that you run into, like, once or twice a week, maybe you shouldn't have picked this guy up. Well, she goes, well, you don't have to pick up hitchhikers. And he goes, well, I was lonely pretty much he's like i was bored i was hoping to get a little handy (laughs) the rules of the road the unwritten book of the road is that why you think he uh killed him (laughs) he's like look motherfucker i picked you up so start sucking there soldier boy and then he fucking slit his throat yeah just wordlessly slits his throat (laughs) (laughs) but uh so he ends up leaving and then like getting back in the truck and then and then we just drive to uh andy's house and it's still all pov right of Andy. You don't actually see him yet. Yes. He backs out of the truck, and then we go up to the fucking house, and uh, it's the night he came home, baby. <laughs> Quite literally. Loomis is in the bushes. He's like, Lonnie, get your ass out of here. <laughs> Putting those bullets in the revolver, just spinning it. <laughs> Six times. Gonna have to shoot him later. I can't wait. Imagine that. Loomis, and he was my patient. <laughs> this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Man, Loomis's fucking client uh, catalog is horrifying. <laughs> Maybe he was a bad doctor, okay? <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. Like Michael was only what seven years old, right? He's in he's in the mental he's in the mental hospital right now because he gets out in seventy eight, so it's seventy two. I mean, let's be honest. The fucking uh, Halloween like sequel, whatever, twenty nineteen. That movie basically like painted Loomis like a fucking moron because his friggin' 
successor basically worship Michael Myers. So what the fuck, Loomis? I don't know. It, it, what did you have a fucking blindfold on for the last twenty years? Yeah, because he's a fucking isn't Loomis a psychologist as well? So like he didn't yes! he didn't see that fucking nutbag coming a mile away. Yeah, I think that guy dissented into madness. I like that movie, but that plot point was stupid as fuck. It was that twist really fucking took me out of it. I was like, really? That's how we're gonna fucking get Michael Myers to the fucking Jamie Lee Curtis? I worked for the guy who basically was like trying to put this guy away so no one could see him ever again. I kind of fell in love with him. <laughs> I wanted to wear the mask and lick his ass. I just like the color of his eyes, all right? <laughs> but yeah, so he comes home and uh, it's just like this really creepy sequence where like, you know, it's a POV up to the house and, and uh, I don't know where John Carpenter got the idea for that from. Um, <laughs> definitely not this scene. No, say it with less energy. Be more passive. Because... <laughs> because I mean, we talk about it on... Go back and listen to the Black Christmas 1974 episode from last year from Trashing Through the Snow. We go into... We go hard into Bob Clark and uh, John Carpenter. But anyway, so he comes in and... And the and everybody wakes up because they hear a noise. Or Kathy wakes up because she hears a noise and comes into mom and dad's room, wakes them up. They go downstairs. Dad has a fucking revolver, about to shoot somebody. Yes, the shot of Andy in the door frame is petrifying because it's fucking bone chilling. He's not really well lit. He's mostly in chat and like. His skin is already, like, I feel like there's already some doctoring up being done to his, like, skin tone because it just looks, yeah, he looks kind of pale, just not right, and he's just sitting there, like, wide-eyed and expressionless, like, hey. <laughs> yeah. And there's no musical sting, it just opened the door and there he is. Well, Dad just about falls over with a heart attack, he's so fucking scared, he's like, oh, ah! Because the fucking door's wide open and the dog's inside, and he's like, why the fuck is the dog inside? Yeah, also... What? Fuck you, buddy, for just keeping your dog outside, you piece of shit. Side note. Yeah, don't get a dog. It's a summer. He's got a little house. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> But, they, yeah, he goes full Billy because they fucking shut that door and he's standing right behind it. Yeah, no, exactly. And they're freaked out for like half a second and then they're, then they're overjoyed when they realize, oh, shit, my son's alive. We just got a fucking letter in the mail hours ago <sighs> saying he was dead. Yeah. You never believe this, Andy. Some guy showed up. That's what happens. They, they come in, they're like, hey, son, come in, you fucking old fucker. Let's sit down. And... They go to sit down at the table, and this scene is just so, like, they're so overwhelmed with joy that he's home that they don't notice that he's fucked up. Right, no, he's just staring off blankly into the distance, he's not really reacting to their tears of joy. How you been, blah blah blah, and yada yada, like, ah, uh, blah blah blah, you know, we're gonna have a party. Hey, he, yeah, his mom's like, I wanna have a big celebration, he's like... Let's wait a few days, a little while. And he's like, we'll wait a few days. And his dad goes, it was pretty rough over there, huh? And he goes, over where? Right. And I'm like... Whoa, like, wouldn't that, like, <laughs> freeze your blood? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was referring videotapes. What are you talking about? Yeah, because some dude just came to the door with a death, cert death certificate, and then you say to your son, ah, oh, that fucking asshole, he pegged you for dead. And then he goes, I was. Yeah. Long, awkward silence. I mean, we're talking a cool fucking 20 seconds of film where he's staring blankly at his folks, and everybody's just like, what? They look fucking perplexed beyond belief. Like, they don't even know how to react. Yeah, where's the where's the punchline, Andy? And then he finally smiles. Yeah. And the here's the thing. It starts Austin Powers levels of Dr. Evil laughing, but in nowhere near comedic levels. Everyone's like, <laughs> and they're like, I gotta say, this kind of took me out of the movie a little bit. Really? It freaked me out, dude. It, it was effective, just like Connor was saying. It freaked me out for like the first 15, 20 seconds. 
But they stay on this for almost a solid minute of these people just laughing and zooming in on their teeth. <laughs> and yes, it's super creepy. I'm not disagreeing there. Sure. I just was sitting there wondering, man, they all fucking cracked already. Yeah. So you're so you're that guy in the in the 35 millimeter screening laughing at the screen, and I'm going, motherfucking, <laughs> shut up. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not saying like full out belly, you know, laugh, but I'm fucking scratching my head, wondering like, was this meant to be comical? Like, what the fuck are they going for? No, I think it was supposed to be like unnervingly creepy like uncomfortable laughter because they don't even i don't even think they understand what he means and he's laughing for a completely different reason than they are oh yeah yeah it's it, it's forced painful laughter no without a doubt yeah it's really unnerving and you know speaking of the commentary this film is putting out like this is the kind of shit that i mean i guess i don't know for a fact but i have to assume like this kind of stuff really happened where families would find out their children were killed or their significant others, and then, oh, whoops, we fucking, we printed that by mistake. You weren't supposed to receive that. Which is terrible, and I'm sure that's happened a lot. Doesn't it happen in Saving Private Ryan? I can't remember. Uh, it might have. Yeah, I think someone goes to the wrong house, and the the wife of one of the soldiers freaks the fuck out and, like, totally yells at that guy. It's already bad enough you have that job, but to fuck up yeah. The address. Come on. I, I mean, I guess you have that solemn uh, thing in the back of your head that's like, wow, I thought they were dead for X amount of hours or days or weeks, but they're not. But still, you had to go through that fucking heartache. No, totally. So that this weird, this extensive laughing scene happens, and then we get him for the first time in pitch dark in his room rocking in this rocking chair. Well, <laughs> I just have to comment on this because it, it was a little funny to me. Again, sorry. It's your opinion, dude. It's fine. <laughs> After they're laughing, they zoom out of the house in this Family Matters ass fucking shot, and I'm just waiting for the piano to come in. It's a rare condition when you come back from Vietnam and you're fucking dead, and your fucking parents think you're not. And then, and then it, yeah, you're right. It pans up to him in his room in the rocking chair. Urkel comes over. <laughs> Hey, how you doing, Andy? Heidi Ho, Brookses. Remember when we were friends in the street? We used to play baseball together. Why don't you have your uniform on? <laughs> oh, that kid's been sniffing around the door since he came home. He said something about he's looking for some soldiers, and then Andy just, like, fucking record scratch turns towards the guy. <laughs> hey, got any cheese, Andy? <laughs> said he wanted to make a robot of himself or whatever? I don't know. Yeah. It uh, you you climb into the anus and then uh, <laughs> you're good to go. Andy climbs into the anus of an Urkel bot. Oh God, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> well, or uh, you know, specifically that, or or the the one from Star Kid that I referred to as a Urkel bot. I know exactly what you're talking about. Factual. <laughs> Imagine that. Now that would be dangerous. Now that would be a seriously fucked up film. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So so we cut right from that that night and him rocking in the rocking chair. Super creepy. Uh, we cut to the big rig that he had. Yes. Got a ride from. It's like in on a road somewhere, and uh, this the dude's throat is completely slashed, and he's got these um track marks in his arm, like where a needle was, like where you were shooting like heroin in your the crux of your arm. I guess when he was resurrected, he just was the. <laughs> He had a fucking needle in his pocket for this procedure? Uh, I guess. I mean, Stranger Things, right? I suppose that's what this is for. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm pretty sure this cop is Bob Clark? Yes, it is. And he's, like, touching this guy and, like, touching his the wound on his neck? 
Well, yeah, when he's at the fucking... Uh, the doc's office? At the hospital or what have you. Yeah, the doc's office. Oh, my God. This coroner sequence was the funniest part of the movie for me because, like, this, this like, Dumbo cop is, like, touching all of his body and this doctor is like, Stop it, Ted, you moron! Stop! Get out of here, you failure! God, I hate you! He's like, yeah, somebody fucked up did that. They really fucked these people up. And he's like, they? They? And he's like, yeah, they are fucked up. Could you stop touching the corpse? You're a disgrace to the Poopin' Plots family. Get out of here! <laughs> Uh, speaking of Doc, he is kind of like our other side character that becomes important later. Sure. But when he's first introduced, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay, yeah, the coroner, sure, whatever. Yeah. Major character. Yeah, well, that's another thing. Like, it's this film is just crafted very well with how it takes its, uh, you know, just like on Black Christmas, where it's like everything is very purposeful and thought out absolutely agree yeah the doctor is kind of like the uh with it like the john saxon role where it's like the one guy who is finding holes in all this and suddenly going like wait hold on we have a far more dire situation than i thought right it's not as complex as black christmas yeah but yeah i think it's just as effective so yeah they they, they notice they notice like holes in this guy's arms and the doc's just like i don't know what the fuck it is maybe it's a hyperdermal needle would you stop insinuating shit i'm the coroner i'm gonna do the fucking examination <laughs> maybe it's from radioactive ticks we don't know. It's possible. Giant flies, working for Granny Van Dam. Mutant cats. Mass hysteria. Take your pick. This is the MDU. Any number of creatures or beings could have done this. A tiny bite can make you sneeze, make you twitch, man. It's possible. Yeah. You know, a vampire with one fang, like the other one fell out, and that's just what they have left to work with. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's a monster from I think, the horrors of Spider Island that was at Mission Science Theater where, like, the... The central monster just has, like, a singular big tooth in the middle of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's super fucking goofy looking. Lines up. But we we go to this, uh, this picnic scene. Yeah, this is really creepy, too. Right outside their house. Because, you know, again, Andy doesn't really want anybody to know he's home. But, you know, they still are outside with the picnic and... I guess their buddy, the mailman, Charlie goes up to him and he's like, yeah, hey, yeah, guess who's home? He's like, you're never going to believe it. First, he's telling him this story, just real quick, he's telling him the story about, uh, because the mailman sees the dog, and he's like, hey, what's up with your dog? Oh, the dog, yes. Butch. It's all fucked up. Like, I, I tried to give him a treat, and he didn't want it. He's like, yeah, whatever. And Dad's like, whatever. And he's like, hey, you know, is this, is he sick? Because, you know, my dog ate a dill pickle one time. Big fucking dill pickle, right? And then it threw up all over my wife's cashmere sweater. And Dad's like, all right, sh- can you shut the fuck up? I, I want to show you something. Look, look who's home. Come here. <laughs> look, it's because you're a mailman, all right? <laughs> Yeah, and this guy couldn't have uh, uh, worse timing because he, he comes in and just, he's like, what subject can I bring up that'll be the most painful and traumatic for this poor man who's come home from war? Oh, I know. When I was in Okinawa in World War II. I know. <laughs> war. <laughs> Is that an egg salad sandwich? <laughs> can I have that? I gotta say, if if this was actually Uncle Sam, because, you know, I had pitched to Joe uh, before recording that this was like the alternate universe version of Uncle Sam. Yeah. Where, you know, he doesn't just get burned up in a fucking helicopter. He's he's topled back to life. Yeah, where there's actually a message in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, not like Uncle Sam where they tried to sell a message, but it was just like some really fucked up family drama. Convoluted shit. They sent all the wrong messages. <laughs> all the wrong messages, yeah. Guy's head in a fucking grill. I don't know what that's all about. Because g- slasher, 4th of July. You know, peeping Tom's on stilts is really strong social commentary. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, I can't wait to spin that <laughs> tomorrow, baby. That and Problem Child too. But uh, if this was Uncle Sam, this guy would have died on the fucking spot because he starts going off on veterans, and he's saying, "Yeah, you know, some of those people that died, we we really uh, needed today, and some of the people that came home should have died." And you just see Annie's face start to twitch when he hears this shit. Yeah, and like the rest of the family doesn't stop this guy because I guess again he's like their mailman and they're kind of like friendly with them. But you could see they're all like, yeah, mm, uh." yeah, it's a thing, too, where like Andy's dad was in World War Two, like with this guy. Yeah. No. Yeah. With the mailman. And and, and he talks about some guy who like lives across the street that was also in the war with them. He shits on this guy hard. Oh, yeah. He's like he's like, yeah, him. You ever hear his fucking stupid war story? And he's like, he he makes it a big deal. Like he's got this war wound. Some kraut shot him in the ass. And that's the story. Hey, what about your dead friend, Andy? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, he goes, yeah, did you hear anything about Darren down the street? I haven't heard anything about him for weeks. And that's when Andy finally snaps. Yeah, he's the guy who gets blown away in the beginning, by the way. Right, exactly. And the, the mailman has no fucking idea. He's just, you know, running his mouth. But again, it's that it's that thing. This is what I was, I was talking about before. It's that thing where, like, yes, they were in World War II. And yes, it was awful because it's war. But it's not. It wasn't the same kind of war as Vietnam was. Sure, yeah, totally different. Where they're killing kids and all this fucked up shit, guerrilla warfare, in a junk, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, okay, the enemy's here and we're here. Well, I mean, if this guy's saying he was in Okinawa, I mean, he might actually kind of relate, because, I mean, obviously it's not a one-to-one, but there was a lot of that jungle warfare there. Yeah, but the Japanese don't fight the same way as, as the Vietnamese. Sure. Also, this is what I brought up earlier in the, uh, the episode about, like, there's a generational perspective difference between how this guy is talking about serving in World War II and how Andy is sitting there. Like, again, if you suck at all the body horror and stuff like that. Sure. Andy's sitting there, you know, just come home from this and just, like, despondent. And this guy is like, ha! And he got shot in the ass! Yeah! Wasn't that hilarious? Oh, war is great, isn't it? Glorious days. E- yeah. Well, and it's also the thing, too, where it's like, well, you went and fought for for something. Yeah. Whereas Vietnam was like, what what, do you, what are you doing? What are we doing? Yeah, and now like, we have the social and cultural retrospective of, like, people who came back from Vietnam were not looked at very positively. Dude, they were spit on when they came back. Yeah, spit on. And, like, I don't recall ever hearing that from people who came back from World War One or World War Two. No, again, because it was for freedom yeah essentially yeah you know what i mean i I mean the nazis had to be stopped because they were taking over the world (laughs) we had to to stop actual fucking supervillains. like yeah exactly and this was just like "Eh, we're gonna go butt into somebody else's fucking problem and uh for no reason we're gonna drop some napalm on some villagers yeah so after the barbecue we have this quick scene back at the diner and uh it's the uh the cook and the waitress are talking to these two cops and they just are like, ah, I can't believe a soldier would do something like that. And the cops are like, soldier? What are you talking about? Soldier? Right. They recall what the truck driver had said to them, how he picked up a soldier and and it was about this time and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that kind of cor- corresponds to like the time of death and stuff like that. So they have a lead now. The cops have a lead of the fact that like it was it's this 20 something year old soldier who was hitchhiking. Right. And then you, we go from that, with the cops leaving, basically that's the info they glommed, to Andy in this fucking rocking chair again, wearing this this uh, white turtleneck and just looking as creepy as he possibly can. This fucking scene. Rocking back and forth. And you hear that it's going... 
and it's just him in a dark room doing this by himself. For hours, apparently, because Charlie's watching the news, and he has a fucking meltdown over it. He's like, I can't, I can't fucking hear the news. There's, there's this rocking chair all day. Uh, it's driving me nuts. That's all he does is sit there all day. And it's like, you're already sick of your son being home. For a day. He goes, why is he so different? I don't fucking get it. You, uh, he wasn't just through a goddamn traumatic experience over in fucking Vietnam. Like, you know what I'm saying? Based on, like, the tiniest of, like, micro microaggressions, like, you're making noise, goddammit, why you're so messed up. Right. I can't possibly turn up the television. <laughs> well, and the thing is, too, he uses the squeaking of the chair as an excuse to turn that off, but it's about the murder of the trucker and, and the soldier being the identifying feature. Yes. And so in the back of his head, he's already like, oh, whoa, 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 that sounds like my son. I gotta turn this off yeah it's already too close for comfort because it's like it's, it happened like the same time that uh andy hit came home and all that stuff and th and this is where i want to talk about this uh world war ii vet versus vietnam vet kind of mm -hmm. topic i guess i'll call it sure where the dad do basically doesn't believe in ptsd at all and and you got to remember People really didn't believe in it back then, especially the World War II generation. You had people coming home shell-shocked, they referred to it as. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he basically is like, you know, when I came back, I wasn't all fucked up. You know, I was fine. You know, what is with this guy coming back all fucked up? It's it's your fault to his wife. I wasn't a pussy. Yeah. Basically, you know what I mean? Even though he's already fucked up. Yeah, you, you babied him. You're being too much of a woman. I'm not allowed to show emotion because that's weak, like you. And, and this is where my barrage started going to the point where I dislike this character because up to this point like yeah he is that stereotypical like you know dad like, Italian you know 70s dad typical Italian 90s 80s 90s and today dad <laughs> sure sure Tim Allen dad for sure uh, possibly <laughs> last man standing dad <laughs> the rocket chair's going up and he's like uh? <laughs> Cracked his fucking head tilts to the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, he just makes a fucking weird Tim Allen joke. Goes over to his neighbor, Wilson, and says, yeah, I don't know what to do about this kid. He just creaks this chair all day, all night. He's only been back for a day. No, can't do neighbor. Can't deal with your zombie son. Gotta go. Yeah, bye. <laughs> Why don't you just give him an egg salad sandwich and call it a day? <laughs> Reverence love egg salad sandwiches. He's got that cannon pointing back there, remember? Yeah. Like we talked about on the Uncle Sam episode, because uh, remember, Tim Allen's son was Jody. Yes. It, it was a running gag. Go back, <laughs> all the way back to season one and listen to the episode. Some of these jokes will make a little more sense. But yeah, you can have yourself a 4th uh, of July marathon with Uncle Sam in this episode. Have yourself a fucking field day. Yeah, there you go. Just real quick to Sean's point, when Charlie, when Charlie and uh, and Christina are having this argument and blaming each other for the, how fucked up their son is, she says some shit like, "Well, if you wouldn't had had to make him enlist," and he's like, "What are you talking about? He enlisted because he didn't want to be a pussy like you," and he says some shit like, "The insinuation of all this is just like." Yeah, well, I don't want to deal with this bullshit. I just wanted to be able to tell my friends about my son being home. I don't care about his well-being. Oh, uh, yeah. And she even says to him, like, you don't even want him to come home. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, he almost wished on his son to die just so he could be rid of him. That's later, and he does... I want to I want to talk about that in a little bit more in depth. Okay, sure. But it's fucked up. It's totally fucked up, and it's just like... It's very much like, this is my fucking house, and you're a fucking alien that lives in this house, pretty much. You know what I mean? There's no empathy. There's no compassion. It's all just like, what's the fuck's wrong with you? What about my needs? I was in a war already. What about me? Well, and, and you know, he goes from this, like, rant on his wife to just sit down 
and and essentially lock himself off from everybody else and just starts petting his dog. Yeah. And like that's his one comfort, I guess. Andy comes downstairs after they're fighting and he has to, and he goes to go out and they're in the middle of it. And um, he's like, uh, the dad's like, where the fuck do you think you're going? He's like, I got to go out for whatever. And, um, you know, his mom is just kind of like, yeah, go ahead, whatever. And Because she's like, oh, I made your favorite food. Don't you want your favorite food? And he looks like back at her from like through the screen door, like no. blankly and then smiles and then just walks off. Is it an egg salad sandwich? No. Then no. <laughs> <laughs> But that's where you get that's where you get that line. So after he leaves, uh, mom comes back in and she's like, she's like, it's all your fault, blah blah blah. And he's like, he's like, how is it my fault? And she's like, you didn't want him to come home, did you? Right. And he just stands there and doesn't say anything. Caught. Yeah. <laughs> it's disturbing. And now that you've actually mentioned the whole tulpa aspect, like. Did they both get what they wanted? I think so. Yeah, maybe. He hates his son. She even says it to him. Like what it, whether it's because he's jealous of him or or whatever, you know that weird that weird dynamic where like I feel like some husbands think that like when they have a son and the mother caters to that son, um they become jealous of the son. They just want to like, get him out of the picture so that they can take care of them again. Yeah. We definitely have some ugly family shit going on because that 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 exact thing you said, Joe, comes up with the mother and the daughter a little later in the film. Yep, it's fucked up. We go to this scene and it's Andy walking around town doing his fucking Terry O'Quinn impression, looking into windows at people. <laughs> he he yeah he's he's plotting his new life. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly his new life, his new murder. Can you change this photo to this photo? <laughs> Can you put can you put a mustache on me or what? Yeah, make me look like Ned Flanders. You don't know who he is yet? He hasn't been invented yet. It's fine. <laughs> make me look like the guy who works at the bar. Just just put a picture of Norm from the Honeymooners in there. That'll do. No, or fucking Norm from Cheers. There you go. Take your pick. George Wentz there. He's in the picture. He's got his fucking bathrobe on. He could be. Uh, he's ready to go. That doesn't look anything like him. Eh, it's fine. It's close enough. So yeah, he like goes and he like goes by his old girlfriend's window and like sees her in her house. Right. And then he takes a detour to the cemetery and he finds this one plot that apparently he's very um enamored with because he like leans down and starts carving something on the headstone that we don't see. What did he do with the body that was in there? I don't know. <laughs> did he just not dig deep enough or or did he move that? <laughs> Threw it in some garbage bags and burned them in a fucking mausoleum. I thought it was a blank tomb. I thought it was like a grave that hadn't yet had like, you know, an occupant. Maybe. That's what I thought too, but he's kneeling right down in front of it. So there would be a hole there. Yeah. Because usually I mean, the hole is there before the headstone's there. You get buried and then they put like a marker and then they have the headstone made and then they install it later. Oh, uh, okay. It's definitely one of those things where they just assume the audience doesn't know how that works. They're just like, yeah, it's a gravestone. Who the fuck would know this? Uh, grave diggers. Ah! <laughs> my, my other thought with that is, well, yeah, because I know that because I work there, but like, the other thought I had is like, maybe this headstone is so old that all of the writing has kind of eroded off of it. Yeah. And he was just like, fuck it, this looks great. I'm going to write my name on this. Which is so sad, but you see that sometimes at cemeteries. <sighs> yeah. Like ten feet behind him, there's like a family like with flowers and like, um, who's that? And what's he doing with Grandpa's grave? I mean, we've talked about it on this show, man. 
It's that fucking every movie that has a cemetery. It's the same one. Yep. Just there, there's a little fog there. You got the Silent Hill fog that fucking obscures it just enough. The Tom Jane Frank Castle's over there, just pulling out his fucking tombstone with his car. Yeah. Oh no! Fuck. A couple graves down. Those kids are pissing on that American flag. Yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> the punks from fucking Return of the Living Dead are you know down a different side of the fucking cemetery. L- Linnea Quigley's dancing naked on top of a gravestone. Yeah, man. She's getting down. This is the busiest cemetery I've ever heard. Of. Yep, and there's somebody also pissing on Lionel's mom, too. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot of people pissing on graves in horror movies, now that you mention it. Yeah, there's no supervision at the cemetery. No. Where's the groundskeeper? Um, you know, he's not a fart head, we know that much. <laughs> <laughs> shit, shit, damn. Why'd you have to go dig up Jason Voorhees, goddammit? <laughs> so Andy's sitting outside again. Right, the next day. Yeah, he either sits in his room in the rocking chair, he like, sits outside in a chair. In, like, a fucking Adirondack chair. He's trying to get some sun. He's got to get, you know, a little bit of a tan. Even out that fucking pale skin. Break out that baby oil and the fucking tinfoil. There you go. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, I know Henry's using it. Yeah, no, oh, yeah. Uh, So Charlie comes in. He's like, he's like, you got some visitors there, uh, uh, Andy. And he's like, I don't want to fucking talk to anybody right now. And he's like, that's okay. Come on in, kids. <laughs> and it's like the neighborhood kids. Yeah, the kids in Urkel. <laughs> Oh, hey, how you doing, Andy? Hi-ho, Andy. All the people to come visit me during a time of, like, dis- like stress. It's like, I don't want any visitors. That's great. I bought seven kids. Because this idea is just funny to me now. Like, Urkel being their neighbor, like, imagine, like, this guy, John Marley, being, like, the Carl character in that situation. <laughs> but I- I'm just saying, if-, if Urkel really was there, I don't know how long this fucking uh, Charlie character would have put up with his shit. He would have been fucking backhanding him with the butt of a rifle. Well, we're gonna, we're, we're about to get there, because these kids come up, and are like, hey, hey, remember me, Andy? Hey, 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 did they teach you karate when you were in the army? Hey, hey, did you kill anyone when you was over there, or what? Hey, you wanna play some football? Hey, hey, let me show you something. This fucking kid goes to, like, karate chop him wow and he grabs this kid's arm and like fucking just like breaks his hand just about right before the kid scream pancakes <laughs> that's one of two eli roth references coming up well you know urkel hightailed it out of there you know that's why he had to move he had to move to chicago after this incident oh yeah there you go uh the fucking dog butch comes out of you know the family's dog comes out of the doghouse and Richard Bach, Andy picks him up by the throat and fucking strangles this dog to death with one hand in front of these children. In an elongated scene, mind you. This is where I almost turned the movie off and almost, for a split second, almost messages that guy saying, I don't want to do this. Yeah. This was visceral and I hated it. It was, a, it's effective and I can't say get rid of it, but holy shit, did I not enjoy a single second of this scene. It's, it's, it's very powerful, in my opinion, especially, like, it's not just like, oh, I killed a dog. It's, I'm strangling this dog in front of all these children kind of thing. I attacked a kid prior to that, and then it came out to fucking protect him, and I killed it. Yeah, a lot of times in, like, like an extreme example, in, like, Ricky Ho, someone roundhouse kicks a German shepherd in half, and, like, very clearly two, <laughs> like, sock puppets full of, like, red shit and fur go flying around. Sure. Because it's fake. Hey, the willies, you know, put on the microwave. It, it looks fucking wacky, so I'm okay with it. Because it's goofy. Yeah, this is filmed with creative shots involving a real dog, mm-hmm. for the most part. Lots of uncomfortable close-ups of Andy just relentlessly, you know, causing harm in this animal, and it goes on for just an uncomfortable amount of time. And then afterwards, like, 
the immediate fallout is like no one has anything to say because his dad has two options be silent or just kick the shit out of him all these kids are like just staring in horror the one kid's crying and they all run off and then like his dad comes out and he's just in shock yeah yeah and, and i think he actually has a third option connor that he is he doesn't have the balls to take uh, report your son to the fucking police because he just murdered your family dog yeah. that apparently he's had since Andy was a kid. And the only thing I can think of when I was watching this is uh, the, the I Am Legend uh, remake with Will Smith when he has to strangle his own dog to death because it gets infected. I can't watch that scene, uh, scene either because the agonizing process of strangling the animal to death is just nightmarish to me, and I don't want to think about it. Um, so, yeah, this rubbed me all kinds of wrong, but I guess it works for the movie. <laughs> it is uncomfortable, but it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right, exactly. And I think it works to the the attribution of this guy's psychosis i think it uh successfully separates this movie from being too schlocky right even with the like the, the whatever the fuck zombie element like he's supposed to be like you look at that and go like yeah but like a half hour earlier he did something that was objectively horrifying in any situation so right that's exactly what i was gonna say like this is the thing where it's like it doesn't matter if he's a zombie or not like this is that ptsd kind of stuff yeah you know what i mean where he's completely overwhelmed by everything happening and then reacts violently violently to it totally unhinged yeah so that something dad finally like collects himself and andy's going upstairs and dad rushes in about to like literally murder him he like pushes him into a fucking like bureau or some shit like andy pushes him off him yes and dad is shook to death like he's like dude i don't blame him yeah his son just choked his fucking dog to death yeah and mom comes in and is basically trying to fucking tell dad off like i can't do anything it's it is what it is yeah excuse me the dog had a gun (laughs) yeah right he kept saying six times i'm gonna shoot you six times (laughs) well if he had a gun i guess there's nothing i could do about it he deserved it hold on so it's dog terlumis He's wearing a little trench coat. Okay. <laughs> hey, man, that's how we got that karate dog. It, it all started here. <laughs> Dad is scared shitless, and it, this is a really powerful piece because, like, Andy goes up to his room, and Dad is so sheepish in his, like, he's like, get out of my house. You know what I mean? Like, he's not screaming or anything. It's just very, like... He's terrified. No, yeah. Of what just happened. He is having the appropriate reaction to what is going on, and the mother is just diving deeper into her own psychosis, honestly. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Uh, Because she has, like, that helicopter parent kind of syndrome where she just, because she had this relationship with her son prior to him, you know, quote-unquote, coming home, she's extra protective of him and, and basically goes full Mrs. Voorhees by the end of this film. Yeah, she she pitches a tent in uh, Denial Land and just kind of refuses to leave. Um, the only reality she's willing to accept is that he's home, that's fine, everything else is dandy. Even though she's completely fucking unhinged and doesn't even know how to feel about anything. <laughs> she's like, well, my son's home, that's okay, right? That's the good part, right? 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 No, yeah. So, we go from this scene to the bar, the local bar where dad is you know, drowning out his sorrows. <laughs> we get this fucking bartender, uh, Mac. Uh, is this one of the uh, the the heavier set? Uh, yes, receding hairline Italian guys. <laughs> yeah, the, the, this heavier dude behind the counter at the bar with the fucking uh, mutton chops and the mustache. Oh yeah, he comes up and and he's like, "Hey, uh, what's eating you there, uh, Charlie?" And he, he doesn't really want to talk about it. So the, the bartender's like, hey, you know, you see this in a newspaper? He's like, yeah, this couple, they eloped. 
they're, uh, they're, they printed that they're getting their nuptials done in the paper. And, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, they, where they really got their nuptials? In the back of a car. In the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> Get it? They were fucking. <laughs> Why the long face? Yeah, they fucked before marriage. Can you believe it? I bet that's what happened. <laughs> I'd love that to happen to me. Anyway, what's your, wait, what's your, uh, pleasure there, uh? <laughs> anyway, how's your day, Charlie? What? Your your son came home? He's a fucking zombie? He killed your dog? Huh. A little whiskey? On the rocks? I didn't read the room. And uh, he's sitting there, you know, you know, having drink after drink. And then this doc comes in, the guy from earlier, from the coroner's office. And like I said earlier, I did not anticipate this dude to be uh, this pivotal to the plot. No, I forgot they were the same person, actually, until we started talking about the coroner scene. Because I didn't make that connection. Because... His initial introduction is so tepid. He's just, he's, it's almost comedic. He's like slapping away the Ophi security guard's hand. Yeah. And I think he orders a fucking coffee from the bartender. Yeah, because the fucking bartender's like making the motion where the fucking Charles has been hitting the fucking bottle too hard. <laughs> well, yeah. And then he goes, he goes to Doc. He goes, hey, uh, hey, Doc, have you ever had any nuptials? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, uh, yeah, uh, once, years ago. And the bartender goes, well, I guess you were too humble to have it printed. In the newspaper. Ain't that a bitch? This guy is so hung up on the fact that someone's printing their wedding announcement in the newspaper. Like, how dare they pay money to have this announced in my town paper? <laughs> <laughs> this thing that doesn't affect me is really rustling my jimmies. Somebody's mad because he's not married. Yeah, well, well, right. I guess that is the is that the joke? He's a fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, someone is mad because he someone looks like a Ninja Turtle with mutton chops. Okay, <laughs> in a tank top behind a bar. Holy shit! Ah, uh, see, th- okay, so this is one of those scenes. This is one of the scenes that really fucking hit me hard because. The doc goes to Charles and he's like, he's like, hey, what's what's up? What's the fucking deal here? And he's like, he's like, Andy's home. And he killed my dog. And, like, he's so broken up about the dog. He's like, I lost my dog. Best dog I ever had. And Andy Andy strangled him with one hand. So his thing is to go to the bar and get drunk over the dog. When he found out his son died, he just went to bed. Yeah, it was Monday. Yeah, he's dead. That's awful. Good night. Well, that's the end of that story. My dog died? Oh, my God. I got to fucking go on a bender because my my best dog. I mean, I, I don't really blame this guy at all. It definitely is the factor of... Fuck him. Yes. <laughs> 100% yes. But, I mean, I've talked about this before, either on or off the show, or maybe both. But I always try to put myself, when I'm watching a movie, into the characters on screen shoes where I can. And uh, this guy, yeah, he's a total piece of shit. But I can see why he's upset. You know what I mean? No, sure. I get it. But, like, the death of his dog is more impactful to him than the death of his son is what I'm getting at. Sure. No, 100%. And it's like, what the fuck planet are you living on? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I'd be pretty broken up about both, you know, let's be realistic. But, again, like his wife said, maybe he didn't want the son to come back. You can get another fucking dog. You can't get another son. Right, yeah. And and meanwhile, the daughter is, is strangely, like... Barely in the film, honestly. She's kind of like tossed to the side by this family when the son comes home. This poor chick. She's kind of there just like, just to react to stuff. Yeah, and they treat her like dog shit. Yeah. Every time. She's a non-voice in the family, I can tell you that much. Like, she's always kind of just off on the side. Well, yeah, because while he's at the bar talking to Doc, basically saying, 
yeah, why don't you come to the house and check him out? Like, I, I just feel weird about him. He killed my dog. He seems off. And the doc's like, yeah, okay, I'll come by. So we go back to the house. No one ever tells the daughter, uh, Kathy, what happened to the dog. She just, like, opens the door and yells for it to come in. And the mom is just like, he's gone. He's gone. Just He's never coming back. Kathy makes a, a bowl of food for the dog. And she's like, Wait, where is that? Where is Butch? He loves to eat. Mom picks the bowl up from the, like, rips the bowl out of her hand and fucking throws the whole entire thing in the garbage, like the bowl and all, that, like, has his name on it and shit. Right. And he's like, he's gone. He's never coming back. Shut up. I don't want to talk about it. The classic, I don't want to talk about it, so you got to shut up now. It's your dog. I'm sorry. I mean, I know the plot needs to continue, so she kind of drops it. But, like, if that really happened, that's not going to be, like, drop it, the dog's gone. It's going to be a full-blown uh, screaming match of where the fuck's my dog. Yeah, yeah, my fucking detective hat is going on at that point. Like, what do you mean he's gone? Well, it depends how you grew up. <laughs> what do you mean you're just okay with your son strangling the family pet and you just are trying to be hush hush about it everything's fine he's gone and to kill them anyway here's breakfast <laughs> yeah in the same breath she's like the dog's gone and whatever your dad says about andy it's not true yeah it's bullshit don't listen to him she drops the collar in the trash nothing it's not true <laughs> he's gone we also find out that uh kathy wants to have like this double date with her boyfriend Andy and his ex, Joanne, and she's telling her mom about it. Well, no, it's his current her, his current girlfriend. Well, right, yeah. Like, before he went to the war, yeah. Mom's all fucking delighted about this and is, like, fighting through tears, I guess, about the dog situation and is, like, hugging her daughter like, oh, that's a wonderful idea. You have to include Andy. Oh, this is great. Well, she keeps trying to make everything normal, like, keep that normalcy up because everything's so fucked up. Yeah, yeah. She's fucking delusional, dude. I mean, I think it's realistic, like, the way it's portrayed. It's just, uh, it's... it's. Oh, yeah. Very your problems and replace it with something else so you don't have to think about it right dad is shit hammered and he brings doc back to the house and like mom doesn't want anything to do with it she's like she's like get the fuck out of here she's like andy's fine you gotta leave fucking dad like pushes her out of the way he's like this is my house and the doc's coming in there's that casual sexism again there it is casual it's pretty in your face well i say casual because it casually comes out of his mouth casual for him yeah what do you mean that's not sexist. What do you mean? You're supposed to be in there making dinner, lady. Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. A woman should be making dinner. You're right. I I did say that before. As long as you cut the meat, right, honey? You're going to cut the meat, right? <laughs> <laughs> you need to pass that down to generations, only the men. Get back in that fucking kitchen. That's another thing you got to pass on. <laughs> and she just, like, bows, like, yeah, absolutely, master. Yeah. Meanwhile, their daughter's like, ah. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> daughter's like, I'm here too. Nobody cares. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up, Kathy. Yeah. She's she's the Meg of the movie. Let's be realistic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she is. So Doc and Dad go upstairs, and we cut to inside Andy's room. And again, it's just pitch dark. He's sitting in the fucking rocking chair. They open the door. They flick the light on. They're like, hey, yo. Hey, Andy. Yo, what you doing? I brought the doc to come see you. And I love this line because yes. Andy's like, is this a personal call or a professional one? And he's like, well, which 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 one do you need there, Andy? And he's like, neither one is needed. Dude, and he coldly stares off into the distance and starts rocking again. He doesn't stop rocking or look at this man the entire time, except when Doc's like, hey, uh, so your dad told me you got home the other night, right? Uh, how'd you get home? And he's like, I, I got a ride. And he's like, oh, so you hitchhiked, huh? You remember who gave you a ride? Yeah, and he's like, he's like, just in case we would ever have to verify it. Or identify somebody. <laughs> yeah. Was it a car? Or maybe was it a truck? But Andy goes, anybody. Soulless, uh, blank? Yeah, he goes, somebody, anybody. And it's like, 
what is that? What? Yeah, right. that would. Cr- I would leave the room. Yeah, and the thing, the thing that gets me, and I guess Dad's just fucking, you know, trying not to believe what's happening. Uh, he's in disillusion, I guess. He doesn't get it at first. No, but Andy does. Yeah, because Doc keeps prying, and he's like, he's like, was it a car or was it maybe a truck you got picked up in? And Andy stops rocking and looks at the Doc. <laughs> And it's the creepiest fucking thing, dude. And, and Dad is like, oh, what does that have to do with anything, Doc? Why would you ask that? And he's like, just wondering. And like I just said, Andy Andy already gets it. Yeah. But Doc lays down the whole thing about the trucker and the time of when Andy got here and how it's it strangely matches up. So just in case, uh, would you be able to prove who drove you home? And Andy doesn't react at all. He just stares at the doctor, like, burning fucking holes into him. And then he fucking leaves, and he's like, he's like, hey, if you ever need to shoot the breeze or a free checkup or whatever, it's on me. You want some free blood? I mean... <laughs> and then Andy reaches into his coat pocket. He, he sees the syringe from earlier. He's like, all right, I'm going to need that in a little while. But he also pulls out this little uh, self-help book written by uh, Jerry Blake, uh, How to Murder a Doctor 101. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. I, isolate them. If they ask one too many questions, murder them. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it's about, just make sure you take them out immediately. Consistently take the temperature of the room and then wait for your moment. <laughs> make sure nobody else is around either. Don't write the appointment down. Right, right. That was a mistake I made. Don't make my mistake. That was a big mistake. Make sure to stress them out to the max before you do it, too. <laughs> Do as I say, not as I do. Make sure you also wear a very particular jacket when you murder people so that you can take it off and discard it where the blood is. Yes. Okay, you got all that? Go home, put on your flannel, and rock in your chair. What do you mean you left the body? (laughs) Yeah, right. What do you mean it's desiccated? (laughs) So then the doctor leaves, and he tells uh, Charlie before he he gets in his car, he's like, listen, uh, this is just lining up too much. I have to at least report it, and hopefully nothing comes of it, but it would be my civic duty to do it. And if I don't, uh, I just I can't feel good about that. And and Dad's like, well, uh, uh, my son killed my fucking favorite dog, but uh, can you give me a day to talk to him about it? <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't want to turn him in because he's like, oh, but that's my son. I don't want him to get in trouble with the police. And, and this is why this character pisses me the fuck off. Mm, yeah, he's wishy-washy. Right, exactly. Fucking nailed it. Yeah. Well, he, like, loves his son, but God forbid that, like, he shows emotion towards his son, because that's some pushy shit. Well, yeah. And that's really the crux of it. Emotions are gay. Yeah, that's gay. I can love my dog, though. There definitely is some underlying, like, anti gay stuff with that because when he's when he's talking about how he was friends with the mom and oh he's a sissy because of that yeah it's very uh machismo oh yeah no for sure so dad goes back upstairs and he opens the door and it's just the chair rocking in the dark and he's like what the fuck so he runs downstairs he's like where's andy and Catherine's like mom gave him the keys and let him go out the back door or whatever and he's like son of a bitch and mom comes out, and she's like, would you just leave him alone, you drunk? And he's like, I know why I'm drunk. And poor Catherine, poor Catherine's just like, what's the matter? What's going on? Can I help? He's like, shut the fuck up. Mind your own business. Shut up, Meg. Yeah, pushes her away. Yeah. Instead of saying, yeah, by the way, your brother killed the dog that your mother doesn't want me to tell you about for some insane reason. Have a nice night. I'm going upstairs to fall into a coma. The, f- the family dynamic is asshole. It's just... Really, really bad. Yeah, it's blood rage levels. Uh, yeah. I, I can't say they live in the same roof. God, how they got murder each other? I did. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> I'm still here, though. Yeah. You made it out alive. I did. As far as we know. We haven't checked your pulse, though, Joe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I got to check my pulse, make sure I'm not a fucking haint. Imagine my dynamic of having six people in a house like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's why you got you to revert to that skeletal form occasionally, Connor. You just got to get away from the fucking madness, right? That's what it's like. Hang yourself up on a fucking... Uh, 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 you know, like a little uh, table or whatever, you know, like those science uh, skeletons. You're like, where'd Connor go? All's, that, all's that's here is this fucking skeleton in front of his computer just hanging there. It's my natural offense against predators. I just blend in the environment. No, we wanted to see if you wanted to go out for pizza, but all right, and just hear from, like, Connor's skeletal mouth, I pizza! <laughs> How many times could I wish that I could just dematerialize in any given situation? <laughs> sure, sure. Connor can do it. He's got that power. He's the man. He's the fucking speedster, man. The problem is, it leaves my bones behind, so really what's hurtling towards is just a, it's a, it's a lump of flesh and muscle. Yeah, there's some semblance of corporealness, like, you just, like, there. Yeah, I'm just jelly. Hey, we get, I get, somebody throw these bones in the garbage. Oh, my God. It's like a Freddy uh, Krueger situation. Gotta bury the bones. No, I need those. John Saxon's gotta fucking burn them in the junkyard? Yeah. <laughs> this is because of you, Billy. <laughs> Oh my god! I mean, Connor, you do that killer Billy impression, I think it's uh, it's all coming together. <laughs> oh my goodness. John Saxon couldn't fucking catch Billy, and he blames himself? That's why he fucking forms that mob and kills Freddy Krueger? Yeah. He thinks he's burning Billy's bones, and he's like, who the fuck is Freddy Krueger? <laughs> <laughs> and then years later, he's like, who the fuck is Connor McGraw? Yeah. <laughs> Who's Nancy? I don't have a kid. What are you talking about? <laughs> Spoilers. They're all, they're all the same person. Question mark. I thought for sure we were going to get like a chase with these two cars, but uh, the doc just kind of pulls up to his office and is freaked out by this car following him, but nothing really comes of it, so he heads inside. There's a lot of great tense freakouts. Or, or fake-outs in, in, in the coming scenes. Yes. And there's not too much to talk about there for the fact of, like, you know... Uh, it's a kind of oh is that is that Andy? No, it's not. Or is are they going to do this? No, they don't. And it's great because there's all these fake outs. But then when Andy finally comes on screen, because obviously he's going after the doctor because the doctor knows, he's just front and center. Knocks on the fucking door, walks right in. He's like, "Hey, Doc, how you doing?" Yeah. He's like, "I'm here for that session that you offered me for free." And he's like, "Ah, uh, I, I, I gotta go to the hospital. I just came to shoot the breeze." <laughs> Meanwhile, Dad's drunk out of his mind at the house, fucking trying to call like the cops, the police station. He's ducking. I gotta talk to him. It's urgent. <laughs> he's at the hospital. Oh, okay. When when is he gonna be back? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me hang up my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go upstairs and drink the rest of my bourbon while going through photo albums. Yeah, I'm gonna burn them later maybe yeah i have to fucking contemplate my entire life's decision about how i treated my son and everybody around me including my family and not come out of it a better man no at all i'll just freak <laughs> myself to sleep so he's like yeah take me into your office doc and uh, doc and andy head into like this dark room and he's like all right sit down open up this briefcase He's like, oh, I don't know what you want me to do and he's like open it oh man he's like i'm in perfect health doc he's like I'll prove it to you. He's like, feel that. And he, like, makes him feel his pulse. And he doesn't have a pulse. And he's like, yep, no pulse. And, yeah, like Sean said, he's like, open up, open up your fucking case. He takes out a stethoscope, and he makes him put it on. And he's like, go ahead. Right here on my chest. And he, like, puts the stethoscope up to his chest. And he's like, no heartbeat, Doc. And Doc's just like, huh. 
That's strange. How is that possible? I don't get it. Hell of a storm. Hell of a storm. <laughs> he like he's so like rational. It's insane. He's probably just sitting there thinking to himself, all right, so uh, when's this guy going to try to kill me? I'm kind of surprised he's having me go through all this bullshit. <laughs> he's like, hmm, I know he's a killer, but he doesn't have a heartbeat, but that's kind of irrelevant right now. Um, that book I picked up in his room said he would kill me right here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he just point blanks at him. Like, instead of being like, why is your heart, why don't you have a heartbeat? He's like, you killed that truck driver, didn't you? And he's like, yep, sure did. He died for me. And now it's time for you to return the favor. And he fucking stabs the shit out of this guy with a hypodermic needle. Well, he actually, what he says is, is kind of like something that a lot of these pro, uh, military people are always saying. I, I died for you. Yes. Now can you die for me? And it's kind of one of those things you hear people always say, like, so, you know, someone they know or a son or a daughter or, you know, a relative or a friend died for us, for the American people. And I think that's what they were playing up on with that line. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. Because you're right. He starts choking him out and uh, they're like up against this wall and the doc kind of reaches for anything because he's got these medical supplies laid out on a counter. Mm-hmm. And I guess the only thing he can get his hands around is like, it's not a syringe, but it's like a needle, I guess? It's a syringe. Oh, it is. Okay. He kills him with the syringe. It's a very, very large gauge needle uh, syringe. Well, that's what threw me off. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, that's a big... One of those big honking fucking glass boys. Yeah. So he goes to try to stab uh, Andy with it, and Andy's just like, uh, no, and immediately redirects it into the doc's chest. I do want to say I love the fact that Andy is aware that he's, like, fucking revenant or whatever the fuck he's supposed to be yeah which adds another layer layer of creepiness and like existential terror to everything around him because he's like yeah i'm here not supposed to be totally dead but here i am well and they also in this scene in particular is the first time you really get a look at him in this like deteriorated state sure like the first time where his like everything around his eyes almost like raccoon eyes i guess i would say uh are all like kind of uh jaunt and and peeling his skin is real brittle in spots and uh it's he looks like a fucking zombie i guess we haven't dissected like what's been happening to him because he's been wearing all this concealing clothing like you mentioned the turtleneck earlier and that's i believe that's deliberate because yeah like he is essentially just wasting away every minute that he's you know awake and aware if he doesn't like re-up on you know fresh blood or something yeah that's the thing too like i want i just wanted to make the point of like he knows that he's not supposed to be there, but he doesn't know why he's there either. Yeah, that's true. He knows that he's not Andy. Yeah. But he also is. But he also is, but he doesn't know why he's come back. Right. He's almost like in his limbo, I guess. Yeah, they're never really clear like what the whole intention is there for him to act, to exist there. Like It's almost like he had died, he had come back, he doesn't know what to do with himself, but he knows the fact that he has to sustain on fresh blood. Like Even before that, he goes out, like the scene previous where he's like, I have to go out, it's how he has to go out because he has to sustain himself, and it kind of keeps his body um, fresh, for lack of a better term. Right. But this scene's really interesting because we finally get why there's syringe or needle marks in the victim's arms and it's not a one-tooth vampire no it's not but it's very vampiric um the way that it's portrayed it's weird because like he uses a syringe to for lack of a better term surgically remove this blood to inject himself with it and it's this kind of mashup between like drug abuse in vietnam and vampirism he does like this weird blood transfusion on himself yeah and it's kind of like 
it's almost like an allegory for like becoming an addict because of the war. Yeah, because when he when he injects it, it's it's like he ODs. Yeah, or has like a euphoric moment actually. And I feel like a lot of non vets that came back again that were shunned and stuff became drug addicts and 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 homeless people. You know, Bronson. Street trash. Yeah, yeah. And again, like, like I said earlier, first blood. That too. He only goes, he only snaps because the town pushes him mm-hmm. until his fucking psyche can't handle it. If they just left the guy alone, let him fucking eat at the diner in peace and move on his way, nothing would have happened. Let him drink the blood, he'll be fine. <laughs> or, you know, just g- give the man something for fighting in a war that you made him go fight. How about that? Sure, yeah. That goes without saying, and it's sad that we even have to say it. Yeah. But yeah, he drains this doctor. Sure does. Desiccates him like a fucking, like a, he sucks all his blood out. So then we cut to, like, the mailman is back, and he's, and that motherfucker is whistling Camp Town races. Sure is. <laughs> yeah. He looks longingly at Butch's, uh doghouse and then just kind of fucks off out of the film after that he's like oh he won't come out and bite my leg anymore he <laughs> he like saw that dog every day yeah you know right for as far as we know like 18 years maybe 17 years or something like that and not, if we haven't already hit that point home already this is a small town where everybody fucking knows everybody oh yeah we're on first name terms i mean we're, we're calling each other to say how you doing we're having drinks at the bar everybody knows everybody yeah and he's a mailman that was a dog that's like goku and vegeta they're like you know natural <laughs> frenemies <laughs> well he even makes that joke earlier connor when uh he checks the dog at the picnic scene and he comments about how it didn't bark or growl or anything he's like hey he's like uh what, whatever happened to us? We used to be adversaries. We used to have scraps every day. I used to kick the shit out of this guy. Now he doesn't even want to fu- He doesn't even want to lick me. <laughs> what do you mean you kicked the shit out of my dog? I ah, don't worry about it, Charlie. Want to hear about my World War II stories? <laughs> <laughs> I love that dog. This is where we get that mother-daughter dynamic. Kathy's gonna go out, and um, she's kind of asking her mom things. What's the deal? You know, what, what's, what's the deal with Andy and, 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 you know, what's the deal with dad and everything? She's like, why don't you mind your own business? He's like, you don't even care. She's like, yeah. She's like, uh, Andy came to me, not you. You never, you never, you never asked me any questions. You never gave a shit before. She's like, I'm not telling you anything because I like your brother better than you. You used to always go to dad and I resent that. That is such an ugly fucking thing. It's such an ugly fucking thing, and I hate it so much. I hate it so much. Yeah. Yeah, and then Kathy's like, we're going on a double date. Mom's like, oh, really? Well, yeah, because she knows about it, and Andy walks in, and Mom just, like, tells Andy, like, ah, are you ready for your date later? And he's like, huh? And then she's like, oh, was that supposed to be a surprise, Kathy? I'm sorry. Yeah, she knew it, too. Like, she just fucking, ugh. Ugh. She's like, it'll be like old times, Andy. And he's like, old times. Walks towards the window, stares off blankly. Yeah, that was so long ago. <laughs> the crickets in the room. Ah, uh, Andy, you okay? And it's like not even like really him. And it's one of those things about, again, like how, how war can really, really change somebody. Yeah. You know, it's especially, uh, uh, again, I've said it, but like especially like the Vietnam and like, you don't come back the same fucking person, and everybody just wants you to be normal. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a theme in this film. They're like, why can't you just be normal again? If anybody wants a really nuanced kind of, I guess, monologue or speech about what adjusting to civilian life is like, Adam Driver has a TED Talk about coming back from the Marines and trying to fit into, like, civilian life, and he's like, I couldn't do it. He's like, there was no order, and where I came from, 
everything had order. Everything had a rank. Everything had a meaning. He's like, I come back to the civilian life and it was meaningless. Nothing mattered. And he said that's how he got through Juilliard was (laughs) military experience. That's bonkers. Hey, it paid off for him. Yeah. Well, in speeds. But I I could see that being a very different style of a lot of of living. Yeah. And he agrees to to go to this double date and then we cut to I guess this florist where his girlfriend works and she doesn't know he's alive or back. Yeah, Joanne. This poor doomed woman. Like <laughs> And they somehow fit in another fucked up like you know, joke where she's like, ah, this is a blind date. It's not gonna be like another guy with a head shaped like an avocado, is it? Where his mother like followed us to the drive in and ate the popcorn <laughs> loud as hell. Uh by the way her Kathy's boyfriend looks like uh, Eli Roth with a bad wig. <laughs> Fucking Bob. Yeah. And then she she doesn't want to go out because she's like, yeah, you know, I'm reminded of Andy and it's depressing. And finally, like, Kathy and Bob are just like, okay, surprise, Andy's here. That's the other guy. That's the date. And she's like, oh, my God, why didn't you just say that? They're like, we don't know. We're fucking weird. We thought it'd be funny to trick you or something. Uh, we don't know. Are you going to go? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, when I met this character, I was like... It's an hour into the movie, and you're his girlfriend. You are not surviving this film. (laughs) (laughs) We have this quick scene before uh, he leaves for the party, or excuse me, for the date, where Dad's sitting there with him like, he's talking because he said he was going to talk to Andy before the doc reported the thing to the police. And he's just like, yeah, you know, they said it was a soldier, son. Do you you know anything about that? And the second he says soldier, Andy, like, stops rocking in the chair and kind of turns to him. And he's like, Dad... There's a million soldiers out there. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 you're right, Andy. There are, aren't there? But just in case, um, can you tell me if we can find that guy who gave you a ride? Just in case we got to clear your name. And he's like, we don't have to worry about it, Dad. It won't come to that. And then Dad's like, ah, oh, fuck. So he leaves and he goes to see the doc and he fucking rolls up. And it's just full. There's like an ambulance. There's cops. There's news reporters. And he's like, what the fuck happened? This fucking extra. (laughs) That's Alan Ormsby. (laughs) The writer and the effects guy. He's like, that fucking mustache. He's like, you hear about that fucking truck driver or whatever? Yeah, somebody fucking killed the doc too. Soldier guy. You hear about that? Yeah, this guy's just randomly making that connection, but says it to the wrong guy. Well, yeah. Just says it to the guy whose dad is freaking out because he thinks his son did all this shit. (laughs) Are you the guy I was ordered to give the plot dump to? Okay, here's the information you need to freak out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to affirm your fears. There you go. And he runs off like a lunatic, like, I gotta get home! John Hurt gave that guy a card with, like, written dialogue, like, say this to him, it will trigger the shit out of him. Joke's on you, Connor. He fucking pulls that face mask off. It is John Hurt (laughs) under there. (laughs) Where's Andy? With a script he printed from his card. Oh, yeah, baby's right right out of frame. He had Baldwin print that one for him. <laughs> so this is great because Andy's starting to decay in a way, in a, in a rapid way where he can't control it, right? So he, the fucking bags of his eyes are all wrinkly. His fucking eyes have gone this, like, deathly, um, I don't even, like, they're not cataract because he still has his pupils, but they're, like, all white and dead. Yeah. Side note. Richard Bacchus could only wear these contacts like right before filming because they were so constrictive to his eyes because they're like sclera contacts. Hence why he just wears sunglasses for most of the end of this movie. Yeah, but I kind of love that. Dude, these sunglasses, I'm going to come back to them later. I was a full disclosure, when he stands up like after he's redressed himself to conceal all of his decay, 
I kind of laugh because he looks like he's about to go drive a getaway car. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> oh, he's got the white turtleneck on again. He's got gloves on. He's got the sunglasses on that he stole from Simon Basel. Yeah. Dude, he looks like he's gonna. He's about to fucking go jump into a Polizé movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, he's got the fucking leather gloves on. He's got the sunglasses, the turtleneck. And Joanne is, like, over the moon to see this guy, and he has zero reaction to seeing her. She's like, oh, my God, Andy, it's so good to see you. Did you miss me? He's like... Hi. Hello. She fucking goes to give this guy a hug, and he grabs both of her arms before she can put them around him, and then slowly lowers them. He's like, how you doing? Let's go. I have to return some videotapes. It's... <laughs> in every scene following that these two are interacting with each other, he is, like, pushing her away, being very nonverbal, because, again... It's him, but it's not really him. Uh, yeah, and Bob's like, hey, how you doing? Go shake his hand. He's like, everything's fine, Bob. Let's leave now. And they're like, okay, here we go. Going to get some bikers. We have this weird series of events because they go to like this drive-in, like Sonic-style uh, restaurant. Yeah. And while this is happening, Dad, I guess, grows a conscience, but only kind of, and goes to the police office because- Does he? Well, he, he, he goes there with the intention to basically tell them that his son is the murderer. But like, as soon as he gets in front of the chief, he fucking gives up on that plan entirely and just makes up a story. It's affirmed to him that it's indeed Andy who killed these people. So he goes to the cops specifically to try to throw them off track. But he's so fucking shook, and he's, like, making up the story on the spot to convince these cops that, like, it, it, this guy's not from the area, and, like, the, um, the doctor... Um, knew the soldier guy, and the soldier guy was supposed to go see him that night, and he killed him that night. He's from Patterson. He's from Patterson, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I thought. That's what I thought, but they're in Florida. <laughs> Meanwhile, this Frank Oz-looking fucking cop is sitting there fucking with the blinds for like a minute and a half, oh. <laughs> and it's like super distracting, and then the chief is just like, hey, uh... Hey, Oz, you want to stop messing with that? He's like, Don, what the hell are you doing? What was this for? I... Because it sounded kind of creepy. It made the scene intense. And it's one of those things where, like, some like constant squeaking while you're trying to, like, think. Yeah, especially when you're making it up as you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's actually super effective, but the um, the catalyst is stupid. Because, <laughs> like, why is this guy playing with these blinds? Well, one, it's, okay, for the visual, uh, like, for people listening to this, it's a cop sitting in the corner of the room. Like, his butt is on the top of the back of the chair with his knees bent like he's a toddler. And he's just, like, twisting or, like, adjusting the, the you know, the, the, the stick or the string for the blinds over and over and over again like he didn't take his ADHD medication that day. <laughs> Don, could you fuck... Could you fucking stop that? And it's super bizarre. And it's a grown-ass man with a fucking mustache and a balding head, like, uh, hairstyle. Like, yeah, Frank Oz, like I said. <laughs> Yoda. Makes sense. Yo, oh, my God, you think that's um, <laughs> the, the, the dad from Black Christmas? He fucking retired as a cop? Yeah, Mr. Harrison. Yeah, Mr. Harrison. You know, Bob Clark knew him, so why not? It's possible. Uh, honestly, it could be the same actor now that we're saying it out loud. It might be the same guy. Four, four, two years later? We'll get an addendum for you in our next episode, I'm sure. <laughs> so then we cut to the food, and like again, like Sean said, like the Sonic kind of driving thing. And um, Andy, again, he hasn't eaten or anything. Everybody gets some food, and and he and the car hops like, "Can I have you? Can I have your menus, please?" And they all give the menus back. And Andy reaches over to give the menu, and like you can see underneath, between his gloved hand and his turtleneck, that he's like 
his wrist is rotten and fucking Joanne sees it and is like, what the fuck? And she's only shook for like a second though. She's like, I'm not going to mention that to the rest of the group. Yeah. Or she's not like wary of him at all. Like he's been acting strange the entire time. And again, just like most of the people in the film, she's just so enamored with the fact that he's back. She doesn't care and ignores it. Yeah. It's so strange. It's strange, but it is also that thing with like, no matter whether this guy is different than he was before he left, it is still Andy. I, I still love him. Yeah, to them, anyway. Yeah. Exactly. But he is, like you said, uh, like you've both said, really, this guy is dealing with, you know, if he wasn't a wraith or a revenant of some kind, he would just be some dude who's dealing with some heavy PTSD. Mm-hmm. And uh, people don't seem to get that. You know, unfortunately, in this case, he's also a murderous zombie. Well, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that kind of goes out the window. But uh, this guy's dealing with some shit. He does, Like you've said, he doesn't know who he is, what his purpose is. And everyone around him is just as fucking confused by his actions. Yeah. So Bob's like, hey, you still want to go to the drive-in? And Kathy's like, what's playing? And he's like, <laughs> who watches him? Right, hey, right, Andy? Know what I'm saying, bro? Yuck, 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 yuck. Apparently not my dad because he's hiding under the dashboard as fucking uh, Johnny comes in with the keys. Well, no. Oh, maybe Catherine's going to hide under that dashboard. You're just going to look for the being? <laughs> yes. He's going to ooze in from the fucking vents. Yeah. Got to tell this guy to fuck off. And he's just like, right, Bob. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Movies. Well, while they're going to the drive-thru, uh, Dad is hauling ass down the road to the house, and he's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, where's Andy? Where's Andy? Mom sees the, the doc killing on the news. Right. And she just, like, turns it off and realizes it's Andy. She's like, nope, uh, nope, he's fine. He didn't do it. So Dad comes in, and he's asking where he is, and she's like, oh, he's on a double date. He's like, what do you mean double date? Who's with him? Uh, our daughter and, our, uh, you know, his girlfriend and our daughter's boyfriend. And he's like, ah, oh, fuck. He grabs his revolver and rushes out the door and starts speeding to the drive-in. There's a moment here that I really liked. And um, they're discussing the fact that, like, yes, Andy has done this. And it, it's like the realization that they're, that they have to, they're going to protect their son no matter what. Oh, right. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we gotta, we're going to have to take Andy away or whatever. And like mom is cool as a cucumber and dad collapses in her arms and just sobs. Right. No, you're right. Because that does happen first. Yeah. Like she consoles him like dead eyed. Like, yeah, like you just said, we got to move away. We got to get out of here. Whatever. It's so clear to her though. Like, yeah, that's just what we got to do. And he's like, what is happening to my life? It's falling apart. And he goes, where's Meg? I mean, uh, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, and that's when she's like, oh, he's, she's on the double date with Andy, and, and he freaks out and leaves with the gun. Yeah, well, she fucking lies to him, because she's like, where are they? And she's like, they went dancing somewheres. Oh, yeah, yeah, which I guess was like to throw him off for like five fucking minutes, but okay. Hopefully, she, I, I think she's like distracting him long enough for them to come back and then her to take Andy and leave without anybody except them two. Sure. We cut to the drive-in, and Kathy's like, oh, hey, Bob, let's give them some alone time in the back. Wink, wink. I gotta have popcorn. I'm neurotic. I can't watch a movie without popcorn. Let's go. She's like, okay. And Joanne is sitting there, and, she, and she's like, and again, Andy's just sitting there like stone-faced, like with sunglasses, He's got sunglasses at night, and he's watching the fucking movie. And Joanne is just like, you know, oh, uh, you know, I really missed you, Andy. He's, he's, she's like, I, I, I didn't want to like make you mad or anything before. Uh, are you mad or anything? And he's like, I'm not mad or anything. And that pause between those two lines are so fucking creepy. And she goes, Oh, you've changed a lot. And he just goes, People change. And she's like, okay. 
And then he's sitting there watching the movie. Yeah. And she's staring at him, like, confused about, like, his whole attitude change. She's like, is there someone else? Like, you can tell me. It's not a big deal. He's like, yeah. There's no one else. And then this fucking ooze starts dripping out of his temple down his face. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, he you know, he looks like fucking Toulon in Puppet Master 2 with that fucking green shit coming out of him. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. He starts melting and, like, bubbling from the skin or something. Like, whatever's holding him together is clearly not uh, suitable anymore. Right. Well, you know what, Connor? He pulls out that fucking uh, that book again, and he looks at it, and he flips to page 20, and it says, uh, How to React When Something's Dripping on Your Face and Someone Notices. <laughs> Uh, and he reads down, he says, if they don't notice, don't react. But if they're staring at where the blood's coming out of, kill immediately. Choke them to death. If they can see it. <laughs> As I showed in my film, The Stepfather, when I took out the discipline. Are you sure that that wasn't written by How To Howard? <laughs> How to survive as a, as a Vietnam zombie? I mean, you know, he could, you know, Terry O'Queen could have had a ghostwriter. We don't know. Uh, we can't prove that How To Howard and and uh, uh, the stepfather are not the same person. <laughs> oh, no! I mean, I could see it already. I mean, I like that idea, too, but... That family at the end of that movie is fucking dead, okay? He has since moved on. I, I mean, okay, well, hold on. Like we said, Terry O'Quinn, he's like the Winter Soldier. He's tilling the fields at the Wizard's Mansion. Yeah. And, you know, just like Interview with the Vampire, here comes someone to interview Terry about his history to write a book, How to Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Ghost rides this book with Terry O'Quinn. He ghost rides it with Terry O'Quinn, or does he, or does Terry O'Quinn take his identity? Both. It's okay. It's both. It could be either or. You know, it depends. You know, he supposedly, you know, working on the Wizard's Field, you know, back to, <laughs> back to square one, I guess. But you know, anybody reads out of that fucking little red book, it could be uh, mayhem any second. Oh yeah, he's got he's so so he wrote the unlucky leprechaun, a very unlucky leprechaun, and how to dispose of your family when you come back from Vietnam as a revenant. Right, but, you know, he didn't want his name on it. That's why he was the ghost writer. Just, you know, Jerry Blake, name front and fucking center. (laughs) I love that book being, like, after, like, how to organize thumbtacks, how to build a shelf, how to murder your family after coming home from Vietnam as your your revenant. (laughs) Yeah. As far as the Red Book goes of how to control Terry... John Hurt's dropping that shit out of the sky like fucking Death Note, dude. Yeah. And somebody's picking it up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why he's that's why he's at the Wizards uh, Mansion. There's a little protection. You know, Haggerty keeps offering him cigarettes. He says it really does help if you get that smoke cloud going. But <laughs> Terry, he's gone straight. You know, he's the all-American dad in that film. He ain't smoking cigarettes. Well... If he was basing his life off of, like, Leave it the Beaver 50s fucking TV, he might actually be smoking a lot of cigarettes. It's possible, yeah. They're smoking everywhere. I mean, the fucking Flintstones were sw- were smoking Winstons back then. Yeah, man. Getting little kids to smoke, too. Uh, <laughs> here, kid. Hey, son, have a fucking cigarette. Yeah, I saw it in Clerks. It happens. So Joanne tries to leave the car after she finds out. She's like, yeah, this is creepy now, and you're bleeding green, so bye. And he fucking strangles her, and as he's strangling her, he like r- she, like, rips his glasses off, his sunglasses, and you, this is the first real good look at his zombification that you get, and he is creepy as fuck. Yeah, I like it. Um, So Kathy and Bob come back with their food, and they're like, hey, let us in here. So they get in the car. They're, like, out of frame, and it's implied that they think they're making out in the back seat. Yeah, but Andy is drinking Joanne's blood right from her fucking neck. He's got a silly straw stuck in there, and you just see it, like, going through all the blood and everything. <laughs> like, killer clowns in the fucking cotton candy cocoon yeah yeah 
Exactly. Uh, yeah, Fatso's there. He's like, oh, I want to sip. So they, they lean over the fucking side, and he's like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? And then Richard... Uh, Richard, well, it is Richard, but Andy fucking pops out of the back and fucking goes after Kathy, and then him and Bob struggle. <laughs> Best kill in the movie. Dude, Kathy gets out of the car. This whole scene is nuts because uh, Andy jumps over the front seat and pushes Bob out of the car and strangles him with the radio that you used to that you used to hook up to your car at like a drive-in. For the drive-in, yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's a hefty fucking cord, too. It's massive. But he's strangling this man in a group of people that are just staring in awe. Well, they are sh- they don't know what to do. They're seeing this happen before their eyes, but it's not a normal thing you see. It's such a crazy scene and Kathy's just like, "Oh my god, somebody please help me." And everybody's just kind of standing there. Yeah. Three cars over, Terry is fucking hacking up <laughs> His mom's boyfriend. <laughs> well, you know, they're a little distracted then. <laughs> yeah. Between the being on the other side of the lot and Terry <laughs> hacking away this dude in his fucking car, there's a lot of bad shit going on in this theater. Oh, man. This theater in the cemetery seemed like very, uh, <laughs> very like places. They're fucking hopping, dude. I, I mean, you know, honestly, on the on the far left end, Pee Wee Herman's there watching his film. <laughs> Beat me to it. There's one drive-in in the MDU. He hears all the commotion, and Pee-wee's just like, shh, here comes my scene. Yeah. <laughs> all these people being murdered, and Pee-wee's like, ah, you can't miss this. <laughs> so, yeah, so he kills this fucking guy and jumps in the car and flees the drive-in, and he goes to run over Kathy. Whoa. And some dude, like, pushes her out of the way, and he hits this other pedestrian, and he fucking straight up like toxic avengers this motherfucker he like runs over him like six times yeah not as brutal as the toxic avenger uh run over drive by whatever you want to call it but pretty fucking violent dude it's pretty violent you see the whole fucking body get run over like three times yeah you see this guy's legs get crushed under this fucking vehicle like you don't see a torso but you see legs just being thrashed around and it just it, it's an awfully visceral uh image uh, yeah oh yeah and I thought the dog strangulation was pretty fucking brutal. And this is almost equal just because, like you just said, you see the whole body going under and coming out the other end. For sure. So Kathy goes nuts and she's screaming and these people are just like, that was the craziest shit I ever saw. And then um, Andy goes home. He fucking drives all the way home. <laughs> again. He came the night he came home again. The night he came home three times. He passes Myers. Hey, what's up? Oh, he's right across the street. That's why Loomis was in the woods, uh, in the shrubs by accident. He was like, oh. Wrong house, shit! <laughs> and he went across the street. Malcolm McDowell Loomis was there this time. Oh, no. <laughs> they both meet, and they're like, you! They're competing for territory. <laughs> Showdown of the Loomises? Well, you know Donald Pleasance is taking him out quick because Michael McDowell just dies in both movies he's in. Oh, yeah, but maybe... <laughs> Again, he didn't die in that first one, even though he had his eyes pushed into his fucking face, but he somehow lived. He did have his head crushed like a melon in the first movie. He comes back the second time. He's like, I'm fine now. But he's an asshole, so it's okay. Yeah, he got brain damage and turned him into a fuckface. That's what happened to him. It's cool, man. He puts on the bowler cap and the fucking crazy eyelash <laughs> and the cane. He's fucking ready to go. Yep. Got his little jock, uh, his little fucking uh, cup on. He's ready to go. A little ultraviolence on the old Donald Pleasance. But yeah, so mom takes him inside and is basically like he's leaning on her uh, as he, as she's moving through the house and gets him on the rocking chair. And, you know, dad comes in and he just like... He grabs his gun. He is just beyond flabbergasted at this point. Like he's blaming himself for everything. He doesn't know like if he should just put this kid down 
or just you know like I don't he does he doesn't seem like he knows what he wants to do in this moment. It's such a, this is such a sad scene. <laughs> like he comes in and like he's like get out of the way. I gotta kill this fuck. He killed all those people. And mom's like no, don't hurt him. Blah blah. So she so he pushes her out of the way. And Andy's back is to him. He's in the rocking chair, and he fucking stands up and turns around, and he is full fucking zombie at this point. Yeah. And Dad just, like... Can't do it. He can't do it. He loads his gun. He's in total shock, and he just leaves the room. And uh, as the police come in, you know, like three or four fucking patrol cars outside, you just see Dad sitting on the bed crying as Mom now, you know, is trying to take Andy from the rocking chair and get the fuck out of Dodge. Oh, real quick, too. Real quick, before you get to that part. he come, When Dad comes in, he's like, where's Catherine, blah, 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 because he knows that Andy's crazy. Right. And she's like, I don't care about Catherine. Again, Meg. It, I know, but it's just so, like, fuck. <laughs> Hopefully you guys at home know I'm talking about Meg from Family Guy, not the Meg that we reference on this show often. Yeah, the giant shark. Just to <laughs> clarify that. <laughs> daughter's a giant shark i don't care about the giant shark <laughs> with the pink beanie <laughs> stop talking about that dumb shark movie <laughs> stop talking about that movie jason stratham's better than that he's the transporter <laughs> <laughs> it was funded by china <laughs> It was. It sure was. <laughs> so while uh, the cops are basically enclosing on them, Dad is in the bedroom sobbing to himself. And uh, I guess he just decides because he can't finish off his son. And again, he kind of blames himself for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, his family situation, the people getting killed, everything, I guess, is the implication here. He just fucking ends it. Shoots himself. Yeah, he sure does. He like has an epiphany in the past like one and then the past night yeah and like thinks about all his poor decisions in his life and then he's just like you know what i fucked all of this up with my family there's no going back and well see ya let's punch this ticket and and it paints that character perfectly like i said i found him interesting because he doesn't uh overcome his weaknesses he 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 caves into them he's a chicken shit he is a chicken shit oh he learns nothing because he he could end it he could shoot the sun he could take the rap say you know because who who the fuck knows if anyone's gonna believe a zombie came back and started murdering people but he he could have saved a few lives it doesn't even have to be a zombie if he has a son's body he could be like i don't know why he's rapidly de composing but he sure did kill those people sure yeah yeah there, there there's my revenant son yeah <laughs> but like but like yeah you nailed it sean like he's just he's a, he's everything that he hates <laughs> uh and that is he's against right like ah yeah like he's he's a wimp he's a wimp he's a chump he's a he's a he's a coward um and instead of facing the problems that he's dealt with he 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 pulls the ultimate runaway <laughs> yeah and and meanwhile you know it's like Mom has gone full Mrs. Voorhees at this point, and is just shuffling Andy into a car as quickly as she possibly can. She doesn't even know what the fuck endgame is here, man. She's just like, get in the car, and we'll fucking, whatever happens, happens. Here we go. If we have to drive off a cliff, I'll do it. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> that is what I thought was going to happen. I thought she was going to drive them both to their death. It's an interesting concept. Like Thelma and Louise kind of thing. I really like the end of this film, though. Oh, the end of this movie had me standing up going like, this is fucked up, this is fucked up, this is fucked up. They drive off a cliff, they're both wearing, like, scarves around their heads with sunglasses on. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a visual. 
<laughs> they screech out of the fucking driveway while Bob Clark cop and all these other cops open fire. They shoot him. And then a little car chase starts. They they hit him. And uh, oh my god, this one cop walks up to the car before they pull away Ugh. and he's like, "Stop!" And uh Andy goes to like bite him or attack him and he starts shooting at him point blank range. And I'm like, yep, that uh, that sounds about right. Oh, he's shooting at him in the driver's seat, right? They shoot the back. First, they shoot him straight up. They get into the car. Then they blow the back window out with like a shotgun. This other officer comes up and grabs Andy through the window. And Andy holds on to him. And they drive away like that? Oh, God. Yeah, he, he drags this guy to death. Oh, my goodness. He pulls this cop into the car and then lets him off into a fucking telephone pole doing like 80. He heredited him. <laughs> Full splatter. Ah, it was a roadside picnic. It sure was. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. For some buzzards. The ants go marching two by two, dude. <laughs> and, and you find out that she is, like Joe said, just driving aimlessly. But she's like, oh, Andy, where should we go? And he just, like, limply raises his hand and points at the fucking cemetery. And she's like, why there? And he grabs the wheel from her and just, like, steers them right into this gate. <laughs> Of the cemetery. Dude, he stooges this fucking car. Uh, this this car crash, by the way, Joe, that was a horrifying joke, and I'm <laughs> still processing it. This car crash was, like, absolutely spectacular, because this thing yeah. fucking uh, tail whips into the cemetery gate, and, like, there's no cheeky or, like, creative editing. This thing just slams through a fucking gate. Into a stone wall. Yeah. On fire, by the way, the back half of it's a, a, a flame. Uh, he fucking stooges this fucking car right into the right into this gate and and stone wall and just takes it down. Yeah, and then he uh, he takes mom with him. They again pass Uncle Sam and uh, all the characters of the MDU who live in the cemetery. Hi, how are you? They end up at this fucking grave that we kind of teased earlier. Oh, man. This Ebenezer Scrooge-ass grave. Andy throws himself into the grave and starts burying himself. And you, you see this gravestone that he had previously came to and scratched something into, but you couldn't see what it said. And it has his name rests here with with the the year seventy two. It's such a powerful scene because like mom is like kneeling next to him next right next to the grave as he's pulling all this dirt on him, and then he finally just dies and she's like holding his hand and the cops walk up and they're about to like apprehend her and they just like stop and just like back off and she's just sitting there rocking like humming a song and he's just lying dead in this grave now well hold on then this car explodes in the background they turn around look at it and then just ignore it okay that's part of the extended ending too they they turn around and ignore an explosion so that's a thing that happens in this movie i wasn't expecting now sean the version you watch had that line in it huh yeah because mom turns to andy you know dead on the ground and she says andy's home some boys never come home, and that, and this is where uh, the film kind of ends, and the, the camera pans backwards into the woods, and you get this kind of eerie uh, helicopter shot almost. It's a crane shot. Crane shot of her grieving, and these cops kind of standing around, not really sure what to do. No, and it just pulls out. And, and the credits just kind of roll over in an overlay. It's just like uh, Black Christmas ending, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's such a downer, <laughs> and it's like, fuck. But I love it. And, and that's why I say, and maybe I'll go into this more in my actual review, but, you know, Black Christmas, I think, learned a lot from this movie. I mean, obviously, it makes sense. Bob Clark made both. Well, I think Bob Clark learned a lot from exactly making this movie into the movie that he wanted to make later. Because you could see a lot of ideas. I mean, that's the end of the movie, but you could see stuff that he did in Black Christmas, like 
that that backing track behind Andy is I get I said it earlier, but it reminds me of Billy's ramblings a little bit. Obviously not a one to one, but similar yeah. concept. The idea is there for sure, yeah. And I think that's just his filmmaking style. And those PO, the POV shots especially. Yeah. Uh, I think he perfected in Black Christmas, but they're there you could see beginnings of them here. I think that's just his him honing his craft really. Sure. In Black Christmas. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. That's Death Dream, aka well, Dead Dead of Night, aka Death Dream. Yeah. So where are we putting this? Shelf. Uh unanimously for me. Um you know, all one of me. I'm unanimous. <laughs> you and your revenant that came back from Vietnam. Yeah, you, my revenant, my skeleton, my bones. <laughs> you and the skeleton. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you could be you, and the skeleton could be you from the future from that uh, Terminator Salvation episode we did. I was about to say that that future me from the Terminator episode. All my time remnants, whatever. That's right. Yeah, shelf. Uh, in addition to this being a you know kind of a take on the monkey's paw thing, there is. I'm gonna make a wild comparison for some people right here. There's a connection this movie has thematically to some video games I like, that being Sekiro and Dark Souls, and that is what it means to have essentially immortality in service to someone else and okay. the price you have to pay for that. And in Sekiro, every time your character gets resurrected, you know, after subsequent deaths, like people around him get sick. In Dark Souls, like, you can die, but you just come right back, um, and you can do that for hundreds of years, but it's usually for a purpose, and in this movie, like, Andy's back, and as we've discussed, at the whims of his mother just aggressively stressing the universe into doing so, and it almost it's almost like going back in time and unkilling someone, like, you don't know what that's gonna do, you have no idea what kind of reverberations that's gonna have. Uh, granted, like, right. Andy's mom is not a demigod or anything like that, but, you know, somehow it happens. Well, and that's why I make the little Pet cemetery comparison, because it's like, you know, again, it's not the same thing, but you bring that kid back, and he's not right. And what did you really expect? Yeah, yeah you you made a. It was a wish based selfish. It is a self. Yes, it's a selfish wish because like absolutely come back if anything you know just to satiate my need to have you here. And but when you get here, I'm not really gonna know what to do with you. And you don't know what to. But they don't see. That's the that's the great part about this film too, because he doesn't know what the fuck to do with himself. Yeah, and he's like, why am I here? People seemingly get what they want, and then once they have it, they're like, I don't know what we're supposed to do from here. And then everyone fucking overreacts and tries to overcorrect. Or if you're the father, uh, you're just passive and you don't you make a non-decision throughout the entire film until you decide to kill yourself, which is the ultimate non-decision. Mm. You know, Kathy's just kind of there. But yeah, this is a really, really dreary, uh, effective horror film. Uh, and after Black Christmas, like I really like Bob Clark's idea and like presentation of these horror throwers that don't have a whole lot of you know, on-screen violence or graphic gore like that, but still managed to be just thoroughly unpleasant, awkward, and creepy throughout. Yeah, this is awesome. I loved it. And um, it's kind of making me look at, like, you know, uh, Christmas Story a little differently. And it's like, I can't believe this guy can do both of these things. <laughs> and Karate Dog. Don't forget Karate Dog. Yeah. And Baby Geniuses. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, Christ. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, shelf for me. Um, It's been on the shelf as soon as I figured out what the fuck this movie was. <laughs> Um, right up there. Yeah, so inadvertently um, discovering it via my father's horror uh, uh, about it. And each time I watch this movie, it gets better and better for me. Again, these are these are the beginnings of a really fantastic director and writer, too. And 
again, it's very proto Black Christmas in terms of like like we were just discussing about uh, the shots and the in the kind of um, story choices and beats and things like that. Uh, it takes its time. Again, I said this on the I said this on the uh, Black Christmas episode. Um, it takes its time and builds a world for you to become invested in. And I think my favorite thing about Bob's horror movies are that he takes the very human elements and and social commentaries that we're very familiar with and just doesn't shy away from them at all and kind of puts them under a, a magnifying glass and and forces you to watch the worst parts of your life interwoven with a zombie a zombie soldier or or a maniac killer and kind of i guess the horror comes the horror comes from us not from the monsters or quote unquote monsters that are in his films his horror films it's super well acted I think this is Richard Bacchus's first film. I don't know if it's Bacchus or Bacchus, so I'm in, what have you. Uh, excuse me for that. But I think this is his first film, and I think it might be a one-shot deal or like f- for for some of the other actors in this, but I think everybody brings it really, really, really well. Um, everything's acted pitch perfectly. Everything's shot really well. Everything is lit really well. It's very atmospheric. And again, Alan Ormsby wrote this film, but I feel like... I feel like him and Bob definitely got together on this while Alan was writing it and and because it feels very uh methodical like like Bob seems to do especially with I, again I keep, we keep comparing it but like when you look at Black Christmas in this film they're structured um similarly in terms of the crescendo of events and how they come about, and how they're sort of preserved. Yeah. There's always a logical reason why something doesn't happen. It's never just like, ah, whatever, Ah, fuck it, Uh, he's there because reasons. Like, there's always a reason for everything. It's very thought out and looked at from every kind of angle, and it's precise, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's really no room... I mean, we're questioning it, too, because we're picking it apart. You know, that's what kind of what we do, but, like... It's solid. Each character decision and or plot point is figured out in a way where you wouldn't hand wave it, right? It's very, it's very, everything's very relevant, I guess is what I'm saying. It's a powerful ass movie just for the uh, war commentary alone in the Vietnam War. And again, I, I can't relate or anything because I, the only thing I have to go by is um, history, but it's pretty fucked up, and I couldn't even imagine what that would be like to have to worry about myself or a brother or something going in, going, fighting this pointless war, and then coming home and then being completely fucking uh, shell shocked for better, for lack of a better term, or like completely desensitized and and broken mentally for the horrors of those things or any war, but specifically that one for reasons. Look it up again. <laughs> um, it does its job really well. It's a fucking fantastic film, and um, you definitely need to check it out. Shelf, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. This is a shelf movie without a doubt. And uh, there you go, Connor. It was unanimous, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you called it. Shocker. Harumph, harumph, harumph. What can I really say? I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say I love this movie as much as I love Black Christmas, but I can definitely respect and see a lot of those concepts that Bob was playing with in this film, and he took those ideas and evolved them and, you know, pretty much perfected them for Black Christmas. 
And uh, I don't want to go too deep in that because we kind of already talked about that throughout the episode. But uh, you definitely watch these movies, uh, if not back to back, but at least like see both of them because you will have that different perspective and you'll kind of get into Bob Clark's head a little bit more so than you would have if you just saw Death Dream or if you just saw Black Christmas or really if you just saw The Christmas Story. Yeah. Because he's a really talented director and yeah, maybe he made some stinkers later in life just to pay the bills or maybe he didn't give a fuck anymore. We're not really sure. (laughs) We might have to visit that idea maybe later in the year or next year. We're not quite uh, sure yet. He didn't want to do horror movies, but he's really good at it. (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, he's... Exactly. Uh, imagine if John Carpenter one day just said he wanted to make comedies. Uh, it would be something, but uh, I wouldn't uh, be thrilled about it. Go watch Vampires. <laughs> well, sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> or Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, speaking of vampires, let's get to his ass. Uh, Daniel Baldwin, <laughs> you open up the closet and there he is. A statue made in love and disgust of the, the man after our hearts, Daniel Baldwin. And uh, where on the Baldwin shelf are we putting this? Because... Uh, you know, I uh, I like this movie, but I like I just said, I don't love it. But uh, I think, uh, you know, we're going to somehow, again, we don't really understand the technology behind this. We're not sure if this is wizard technology or hurt technology or, uh, you know, somebody else. Uh, maybe GVD's powering this shit. I'm not sure. But uh, I take the movie and I turn it into a syringe full of some kind of material liquid. And uh, I inject that into the rubbery... Uh, old beef jerky ass arm of this Baldwin statue, and uh, you know when I when I inject it with uh, Death Dream, it uh, revigorates the smelly, disgusting uh, old beef jerky into something a little bit more palatable. But uh, again, I'm a vegetarian, so I'm not gonna fucking eat that shit anyway. Uh, <laughs> But, hey, that's where it goes. It's, you know, it's kind of middle of the shelf for me. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't see this sooner, but uh, we're, we're kind of going through this Bob Clark uh, catalog on this show, so maybe we'll uh, take off a few more. Yeah. Do, Christmas Story, I think we need to do, because it's just a classic. One day. <laughs> maybe por- maybe Porky's. Karate Dog is on the list. Well, yeah. Oh. <laughs> So, following this uh, film, we've got two more for you guys at home and another mini-sode at the end of the month. Yeah. You want to tell us about that a little bit, Joe? Yeah, sure. Uh, we're doing Ticks, and then we're doing a mini-sode with Amy Dolans. We're doing an interview with Amy Dolans about Ticks and her career, so that should be a ton of fun. To wrap up this month, we have Orca coming up with our good friend C.B. Smith, and we're doing... Oh, man. ...doing the book to movie. I'm so fucking excited for this. I love Orca. I like it better than Jaws, so fuck you. I I fucking love Jaws, so that's, uh, I hope it lives up to the hype. I haven't seen Orca since I was like six years old, so this is going to be like a brand new experience. <laughs> I love Jaws as well, but I, I've seen Orca, I think, more times than I've seen Jaws, so put it that way. Um, I don't know if it's going to live up to either of your guys' expectations, but I really like it. I am looking forward to this for multiple reasons. One, I've heard nothing but good things about Orca for years from Joe and from other people. And uh, C.B. Smith, with the the pandemic, I I haven't really been able to play D&D and uh, I haven't seen the guy in months. I mean, I talk to him over the phone or, you know, text messages and whatnot. But uh, it'll be cool to have him back on the show. And he's doing what he did last year. Uh, when we had him on for Child's Play 3, where he read the novelization, and uh, 
he just might be doing that with Orca. You're going to have to listen to find out for sure. Oh, yeah. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Orca was a book before it was a movie rather than Child's Play. Yes, it was. Three. (laughs) If you want dates, you know what you should do? You should probably go to that Instagram and check out that MD guide because it's going to tell you all about our releases and when they're dropping. Check us out. We're on YouTube now. We were uh, just recently actually featured on the final episode of Rental Reviews from Cinemassacre. Joe had... uh, Yeah, we sure were. ...brought a bunch of tapes into their office. Can you you actually talk about that a little bit, Joe? Uh, Yeah, uh... I'm I'm friends with Justin and Tony from uh, Tony from Hack the Movies and Justin Silverman. Yes, check out that pumpkin head to uh, episode with Tony. Just reminding you guys at home. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Uncle Frank, don't forget about him. No, he's always there. He's always lurking in the attic. He's always looking for someone to come to daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah uh, Justin had asked me if if I could help them out with that and uh and I did I took a bunch of um photos of some tapes because uh, they did a uh, a VHS uh, cover artwork crazy VHS cover artwork for their final send-off episode so that was a lot of fun to to help them out with so big big thank you to Justin and Tony for uh for reaching out and and having myself and having me be a part of it and um plug in the movie dumpster so we re- I really appreciate it and and they had some tapes on there Joe of yours that are some movie dumpster classics so I would definitely recommend checking it out because uh, mm-hmm. the gang and James Rolfe had some fucking opinions about a few of those. They sure did. Especially uh, one about a leprechaun with a starfish attached to his dingling. <laughs> and his dirty green fingernails, yep. Yeah, yeah. Get them away from me. You can check out the critiques that they give, and then you can go listen to our episodes. Hell yeah. Uh, where we review those films. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, like we say every episode, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Google Pocket. Where the fuck? Where else are we? We're everywhere. We're everywhere. We're on Stitcher. We're on... Uh, uh, SoundCloud. Podbean. SoundCloud. MovieDumpsterPodcast.com is another place you could find us. MovieDumpsterPodcast.com. Yeah. Uh, really, though, the biggest thing that helps us is iTunes. Apple Podcasts. Right. If you go there and you leave us a five-star review, that would be amazing. Really appreciate it. Um, it helps us... As uh, Sean always says, to, to get out of the bottom of the dumpster and <laughs> into <Yeah>. more eardrums. <laughs> and uh, like you'll see on, on our Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, we usually, uh, if you leave us a physical review, or I guess it's not physical, I guess it is digital. If you leave us a digital review, yes, uh, we, we will uh, repost it on the Instagram and give you a little shout out. Uh, but yeah, leave us a review. Tell it, tell us what you like about the show, what you want more of the show, what what movies you want to see. We got We actually got an email... Uh, a few months back, uh, recommending some movies. One in particular that we got recently was one called The Fart Movie someone sent to us. <laughs> yes. Uh, that is uh, shocking. So, yeah, like, let us know about this shit. Again, tell us about your weird fucking video store stories. You know, we're always, we always want to hear this shit. Just because we talk about it on the show and we don't mention it for a few weeks, that doesn't mean we're we're not interested anymore. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it, again, yeah, like Sean said, uh, your favorite rental um, experience, what your favorite movies are. I mean, literally, whatever, any good stories you got that are that are that are relevant, like definitely give us a shout because we'll read them on the air. Also, we have a couple emails that um, unfortunately I didn't have prepared <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I, next time we'll 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 get you next time, and uh, and we'll read those. Uh, so appreciate it. So please reach out to us. And again, yeah, go like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the whole fucking deal. You know the you know the drill. 
Do it up. Otherwise, Connor is going to keep executing MDU characters. We keep resurrecting them. He keeps killing them. I mean, I'm starting with the tertiary ones, so it doesn't affect the plot too much. But <laughs> Is there any Phantom Zone stuff coming up? Uh, no, we're kind of in a, a bit of a limbo period. We're trying to figure out what we're doing next. I think we're doing a uh, 3AM files next. We've been kicking around the idea of doing a like a... A big episode on Travis Walton and Fire in the Sky. Oh, that's... A, can I be on the fucking show, please? Well, yeah, because this is taking forever to plan, so that'll work out just swimmingly. <laughs> you guys are always like, yeah, you come on, and I'm like, all right, and you're like, all right, well, no. <laughs> well, we also tend to, like, meet up at, like, 7 p.m. my time, and, like, you're, like, a, you know, most rational human beings are asleep. I'd make time. I'm, not, I'm, I'm making sure that you don't have any excuses. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, we're still, that one's still coming together, so we still have time to get that together. Cool. Then, 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 then uh, folks can go check out your back catalog while they wait. Uh, today, Hunter sent me a little uh, screen cap from uh, the Comedy Button uh, Facebook group. Hunter from the Phantom Zone, just to uh, let people know. Phantom Zone TM. In a beautiful, you know, convergence of, of hobbies, uh, someone he's talking to is like, Oh, I've heard Phantoms. I've heard of this Phantom Zone podcast. It gets brought up on the Movie Dumpster podcast all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Worlds are coming together, Connor. The fucking multiverses are colliding. Yep, uh, my the two Earths I reside on are gonna fucking slam into each other. Um, yes, and uh, it was beautiful to watch this person discover that those were in fact the same thing. Yeah, there we have like. I don't know, going on four years of shows, reviews, movie specials, um, like. If you're just if you're into something that's non-topic, please listen to an After Dark. Forgive the you know audio hiccups, but like w- there are some episodes that I lost my mind laughing because uh, of how off the rails we got. I'm pretty sure that's an episode that ends with just me laughing at the fact that there is a Gundam series that has a space colony shaped like a sombrero. <laughs> It's a real thing. Hey, I think we saw that when we uh, we played golf with O Street last year. I think they had that at the uh, mini golf course. Sure did. <laughs> I think I, uh, I I jumped on Rudy's back. I think you chipped one off of there. Yeah, I did. Right around the old sombrero there. Knocked it off the top of uh, Rudy's hat. <laughs> rolled in. Get the Lucky Duck special. I like I like the Lucky Duck special. Me too. I, lo- I love the wiener. <laughs> <laughs> the balloon dog, if you will. Yeah, there you go. Uh, the Phantom Zone is kind of blown up into several little you know, interesting podcast. So if you, you know, if you have the time, please go check it out. They're all there. And uh, if, if I have my way, they're going to be up forever. So that's it. That's death dream from 1974 directed by Bob Clark. Hey everybody. If you want some more bad movie goodness, you can check us out at moviedumpsterpodcast.com. Subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your podcast and make sure to leave us a five-star review. If you dig the show, because it helps get out of the bottom of the dumpster and into more eardrums. Yeah. And if you're on the social medias, you can follow us at movie dumpster on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm Joel Scola. I'm Sean O'Rourke. I'm Connor McGraw. Thanks for visiting the dumpster. Andy's home. Some boys never come home.